This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gruciola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello, world. Hello out there, disaster divas. Here we are, disaster girls. It is I, your co-host, Jordan Gruciola. And it's me, Amanda Smith. And again, and as always, uh, we don't we don't mess around. We've got some exciting new business. Uh, we got a guest with us today on the pod. We are not alone in the room. We are doing this with a co-host number three. Co-host number three, introduce yourself to the people. Tell them who you are. Hi, everyone. This is Margot Donahue, and I am from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm in Brooklyn, New York right now as we are recording this. And what is it that has brought you to the pod? You have a project coming out in the world that you are telling people about. Yes, I I am putting out into the world my very first book. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> it's called Filmed in Brooklyn, cool. and it's all about movies that were filmed in Brooklyn, all the different locations. I got this project a few months before COVID happened, oh, wow. and it was going to be one thing, and then everybody was home during COVID, and it became something completely different. I watched over 250 movies wow. in two years, mm-hmm. and I went to dozens of locations around my favorite borough in the world, and uh, one of them being the War of the World's House, which is what we're going to be talking oh, about today. Great. Yeah. Okay. So, and uh, that now my book is just coming out. It's with History Press, and uh, I took a lot of the photos in there, but I also got a lot of photos from the movie studios and stuff and it's Mm -hmm. trivia and it'll give you ideas for movies you want to watch and it's got some behind the scenes stuff and it's all a little bit of history about Brooklyn and I'm really proud of it. They're kind of lying to us a little bit in War of the Worlds, right? Like the license plates around where we're going to say New Jersey. They're they're pretending Brooklyn is New Jersey in this, aren't they? Well, they start, so the very first scene is Brooklyn. That's Red Hook. Yes, yes. Ray, so Ray is in Bayonne, New Jersey and I have friends in Bayonne. So I got okay, okay. I got I geeked out a little bit because I'm like, oh, I know where that is. So Ray's in Bayonne. Mm. Then the wife and husband will get to that, but they're in nice suburban New Jersey. And at yeah. the end, he's supposed to be delivering the kids to Boston. Yeah. Right? But they're in Park Slope. I was gonna say, I'm place. pretty sure it's not Boston, right? No, that's not Boston. Yeah. That's in Park Slope, which they is found- actually like uh ha- half a mile from my apartment. They found some really nice brownstones and we're like, well, that's close enough. Yeah, nobody's going to know the Nobody difference. Nobody knows. It's the same thing. The East Coast looks the entire same way from Maine to Florida, really. Really? Well, like Baltimore, <laughs> Boston, like it all kind of looks the same. Yeah, the famous Florida brownstones <laughs> <laughs> that we the all Miami know. Miami brownstones that we all know. Yes, yeah, that's your next book. Miami brownstones. <laughs> The stoops of Orlando that we all hung out on. <laughs> Just sitting and sweating. The stoops in the of room. Orlando was a great Martin Scorsese movie, though. Right. This imagine the ensemble of the stoops of Orlando. That is oh that's God. a good place <sighs> spinoff. That's a Mike Schur show. Yeah. And they're like is an Arizona that. trash, like Kristen Bell kind of character in that. <laughs> I would so watch that. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm entertained already, whoever's listening out there to make this happen. Um, <laughs> but you said it, so tell us a little bit more about why you chose 
the, I think it's 2005, Steven Spielberg sci-fi horror film, War of the Worlds. This is a scary movie. Oh my God. Deeply yeah, it traumatizing. Is, it, you know what? There's a lot that's going on and we were chit-chatting before we got on the mic today and I wasn't quite sure. There's a lot to discuss here that we'll get into. I wasn't quite sure of your backgrounds. I know one of you uh, went to NYU. I wasn't. That's me. You know, Amanda you is a your- Tish alum. Yep. Okay. Uh, you seem like you're younger than me. I don't know. Do you remember 9-11? Do you oh, remember? Yeah. So Jordan, okay. just for context, Jordan and I are both late, late 30s. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will. Yeah. I'm so 37. Millennials. Oh, yeah. I just I just couldn't remember if you were exactly my age or not. Yeah, we're the same yeah, age. We're yeah. both the same age. Yes, yeah, so we're both 37. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, so I'm Gen X. You're millennials. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was working at Condé Nast in Times Square oh. when, when that happened. Whoa. So it was a couple of miles away from me. And I, um, I, there's a lot that, you know, even if you didn't lose somebody, you knew someone who lost someone on nine right. 11. Mm-hmm. And th- there, there's this, um, psychic kind of damage that happened in New York that lasted for a few years. And one it, of our you know, best friends grew up in, uh, Upper East Side area. And she like from her family's like apartment from the built, like an apartment window, in the building could see what was and, like, when she, I knew yeah. her, it was Jordan. She was actually at the World Trade Center the day prior because I, yeah, was, yeah, trying to get I, in, yeah, I, I was trying to get in touch with her that day because I was panicking and it turned out that she was. Yeah, she had been there like the day prior. So and yeah. when I met her in 2009, she still didn't like being in high rises. Yeah. Like at that time, it was still like, I don't like being above the third floor. Yeah, I don't I don't blame her. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that's so that's 2001. And it, it, people don't know this about the trade center, they kind of think, oh, it's just bankers and stuff, which is, Mm. they had, my dad used to work there a long Mm. time ago. They had their own UPS stores, their own post office. They had their own retail stores. Mm -hmm. It was a city. It was a city in within its own thing. And then in my neighborhood in Park Slope on Union Street, it was a direct line to the World Trade Center Mm. at the firehouse. There were 33 men that worked there 13 died that day. Oh my God. Like that's just kind of a microcosm. Um, When one of my bosses, when I worked at Gruner and Yar, she, her husband was there when it happened. And she said, you know, nobody could get in touch with each other. She couldn't get in touch with her kids. Everybody was walking home. And when she, as soon as she walked into their apartment, she saw his shoes and they were covered in ash, like right by the front door. I mean, you Uh just hear these stories. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of this. And then for me, I remember, try, you know, taking the subway to work the weeks after this happened and you're trying to be normal. You're trying to be like, okay, yeah. I got to pay my rent. I'm trying to be like a good New Yorker doing your thing. Yeah. And you, every subway stop, you would see pay, just people papering. Have you seen this person and the oh picture of God. their relative or friend and a cell number, please let us know, oh. you know, and it's heartbreaking. Oh. And every stop was like that. And this, you know, obviously was on that for a while and everyone who's here, like, that's what you remember. So this movie is out in 2005 and it's mm-hmm. a, it's an HG Wells story. It's been mm-hmm. around forever. It was made in the fifties kind of this right. it was, sci-fi. It was a, a famously a radio play that made people think they were listening right. to a news yeah. broadcast about the world being invaded Orson by aliens. Wells. Yeah. Right. And then when Steven Spielberg was signed to make the movie, it was a big, 
when they started making movies again in New York, like every time yeah. they started doing something yeah. again in New York, it was mm-hmm. a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we're getting back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to be sensitive. War of the worlds. Well, there's going to be explosions. There are going to be people running and screaming. Like you have to be careful about Fucking clouds of yeah. dust and ash trailing right. them as they sprint for their lives. Yeah. Right. Well, that, yeah. So Which, that's kind sorry. of, sorry. Um, yeah. So that's what kind of like, um, so this is the thing, things that are happening in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's the moments of that. There's also a scene where you see like a billboard with all these names and faces and people like, you know, checking their yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, took it for people. And I, I saw that for a second there. It was like, I'm right back in that time. Mm-hmm. And so it's very emotional. Now let's change. Also, we have Tom Cruise, who's a world-class kook. And up until 2005, he had a perfect public relations life. Yeah. 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 Never until until really the Katie Holmes, until really the Katie Holmes era. It that and like the Oprah interview and the the sort of unmasking of the madness in there. Yeah. Never made a misstep. Mm -hmm. Never. Yeah. Ever. Like he got divorced twice. Mm-hmm. He all these things happened. He never made a misstep. And then he and Spielberg made this movie. Apparently, they didn't get along because mm-hmm. he wanted to bring all the Scientology stuff on the set. He wanted to introduce Scientology stuff in the script because they're really into science and Scientology. Well, in aliens, 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 alien yeah. stuff, right? So Spielberg was making Munich right after mm-hmm. they made this movie. It's quite a jump, right? Like yeah. go from one to the other. So, so Spielberg couldn't do the PR campaign. Mm-hmm. And so he's doing it like in May and the movie comes out in July. And this is when Cruz starts dating Katie Holmes. And then he goes to Oprah mm-hmm. and he's jumping off of couches. And yep. apparently Spielberg was like, you have got to be kidding me. Right. Yeah. Like this is our movie. It's we're trying to be as sensitive as we can, but we want to like bring people back to the theater. We yeah. want to do all, you know, and what's going on. And this guy is like jumping over couches and acting like a, a lunatic. Mm-hmm. And then he got in an argument with Matt Lauer, who's a famous creep now. But yeah, Matt, Matt, you're glib. You're glib, Matt. You're glib. I know yeah. the history of psychology. Yeah. yeah. Then he, you know, all this stuff happens and then the movie comes out and the movie's a big hit and it does really well. But his his personal brand was hurt for a long time. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, he took a while to recover. And I'll say, like, I like Tom Cruise movies. I like Mission Impossible. Yeah. I like I love I, I liked movies. Maverick movie. I love yeah, I like the Maverick movie. Yeah. Like, the Maverick yeah. movie was like in in that way that there aren't four quadrant stars anymore. Like right. except there's like Adele kind of thing. Like in the way that a 21 was everyone's favorite album, no matter what your age or demographic was. Yeah. yeah. Maverick became that movie. Like it was in theaters for what felt like six fucking months this year. America oh, yeah. just kept going to see Maverick. And they, don't do any- and they don't do that anymore. No, 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 no. It organically, nothing organically. It organically became one of the biggest box off movies of all time. Not because it had the biggest opening weekend ever, because it actually finally had an old fashioned long tail run in the theater. Yeah. People actually saying, hey, you should go. I had a great you time go seeing this. See this. I'm yeah. going to go see it again. Yeah. It, it was, was one of the crazy things just looking at, uh, which I had kind of forgotten, but it's it, as part of what happens to Tom Cruise after he goes through after World War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds is one of his last, probably the last 
to a degree organic IPs that he ever does. Like after this, because oh, his, yeah. because his personality, even though it's it's an existing product, but he does a couple more movies. He does Valkyrie, which oof. Yeah, um, that was a that was wasn't that like one of his passion projects where he was like, I want to make this, and they were yes. probably like, you a made Hitler us billions movie. of dollars, okay? Yeah, <laughs> like, a Hitler movie with you know a noted sex pest. We'll, um, let, we'll let you have this one. Yeah, he did that. He did Night and Day, and then he just straight up, other than like other than Edge of Tomorrow, after that he's just doing Mission Impossible's. He's just doing things that he already has established IP and because his brand had changed so much at that point of it not being the personality of Tom Cruise anymore selling a movie. It became Tom Cruise is able to run in a movie. And this is right. A, yeah. What a run. It, well, I mean, a, a world-class movie runner, but yeah, yeah. It's, this movie, it's interesting because this movie really marks the end of Tom Cruise carrying a movie versus the product having being a feature for Tom Cruise, even Maverick, I'd argue Maverick with, it could have, you can't do it without Tom Cruise, but it's still, carried on the product itself and not the presence of Tom Cruise. I, I would dispute that in the sense that nobody top lines like Tom Cruise still. Will Smith can't even. People people yeah. didn't turn out for Gemini Man because of Will Smith, even though that's probably one of Will Smith's best action movies. Gemini Man's like a very high quality product, it turns out. Um, it's very charming. It's a wonderful action film. Uh, but Tom Cruise can still, there is still the name Tom Cruise that I think sells a movie mm-hmm. like literally no one else in this industry. I think he's the last one and I think yeah. he, I think he still does it. See, I I, yeah. I think if you I don't his, think he I yeah. think he's like our our last not totally not at least partly swappable marquee name. Uh, no, agreed that he's not swappable, but he's no longer much like with Will Will Smith. No one was going to see Gemini Man if Will Smith had done Independence Day two. It would have did do Independence Day two. No, they killed him. Oh, they ki- wait. They did. Yeah, I do. I don't like Independence Day too. So I like said, yeah. I so I I completely memory hold it. No, the whole thing is like he had died. They kill him off screen, or he had died in a plane crash. Oh, that's right. It's Jeff Goldblum's movie. It's like totally Jeff Goldblum's movie. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, yeah, this where, but you see, like Tom Cruise's kind of arc is the same sort of arc that we see in Hollywood itself. Where, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, like you start to get Marquini. You know, you move into like a Chris Pratt, but Chris Pratt Mm -hmm. isn't opening a movie. It's that Chris Pratt is taking the. You know, Chris Pratt is being put into these huge brand names essentially yeah and so and so I, the same thing is that like tom cruise is still doing big movies but i it's not people aren't like oh i gotta go see the new tom cruise it's i gotta go see mission impossible 17 i think what and i i think i think what it, i think i found what it is for me which is that i think what tom cruise brings as a as an entity to a set is something that almost nobody else does which is his like, you know, famously the doing the one's own stunts. There's a sort of exacting demand of precision. Like this is a man who's never wanted to be a screenwriter. This is a man who's never been like, I think I'm going to direct. Like this is a pure acting movie star. And I think what makes those Mission Impossibles what they are, regardless of who the director is, is that Tom Cruise doesn't accept Mission Impossibles being any, and he is such the guiding force of the and like i'm sure paramount has like signed over the fucking house to him like that i think the the demand for the excellence in the yeah. technical execution at a stunt level that's why maverick looks as good as it does because it's i agree someone oh, yeah. like a tom cruise being like we're gonna dogfight we're gonna have this happen in the air this is how it's gonna film and the director um the, the forgetting his name but he did McQuarrie legacy which is wonderful as well he's a guy who fucking handles reboots regardless of the initial ending of Tron legacy I don't think there is another 
marquee star that actually like is the filmmaker nerd that Tom Cruise is and demands his projects be subject to to a level of execution i think that is the x factor of cruise is is that they look as good as they do because tom cruise doesn't let an action movie look any less good and immersive and tangible as as his do yeah 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 i think um where he lacks though is his human quality oh sure he and this is movie is boy does it tap into that and if we can mm-hmm. I just the first few minutes of this movie his character is so unlikable <laughs> he, oh my god he he shows up so he's, he's a shitty work. disaster dad he's, he is he's the worst dad. human horrible yeah he's sh- he shows up. So he's he's here's Ray. He's at his job. He's leaving. He's got got to go home to my kids. Yeah. He's a yeah. Divorced dad <laughs> yeah. He's in a Mustang like he's in. He's this big machine because Tom Cruise needs the biggest machine because he's, he's five foot seven or whatever. So he has to loader ever, by the way. Right. No one else can is. do the job that he can do. He is the king of, of course. It. And they want him to stay longer. And he's like, nope, got to be with my kids that I'm with like 20 percent of the time. Yeah. So maximum. he gets in. Yeah. So he gets into his uh, Dodge car thing. I don't have a car anymore. And he comes home to. Yeah, he's like an American muscle car. Yeah. Yeah. And he's in New Jersey. Sorry. And uh, he's like he parks into the driveway like. And there sits his ex-wife, pregnant Mm ex-wife with her husband and Mm -hmm. his two kids in the backseat. And he shits all over the car they're driving because it looks safe. Safe car. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's well, there are two children, you fucker. Like, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And he's just shitting on the car. And she's like the nicest. His ex-wife is the nicest lady ever. She's like, we said eight. He goes, I thought it was 830. Doesn't apologize. No. Yeah. Let's so they bring the kids into the house and the house is a sh- it looks terrible. Oh, yeah. Not picked yeah. up. He has no food for them. No. He, he, he says you got to order something and yeah, then he, he doesn't order it for them even he's like no. order in no he tells order his 10 year old order in and <laughs> she says what and he says you know food like this is a dad who has never ever ever wanted to be around his children and he's right. the man who we're stuck with for this apocalypse and because it's he's- 2005 he's wearing boot cut jeans oh well yeah he- he's in well, he's yeah. leaving that dock in a boot cut yeah he leaves it like his daughter has a heavy bag yeah and he and his pregnant wife <laughs> takes the bag up the steps That's so and, and it's and, and it's like I'm, I'm so like lately i've just been like sick of lazy men lately yeah. i'm just like in my head i'm just like I've just never, but anyway they've never had an inch of clearance with me <laughs> yes and so she's but anyway it's so he and his and that the kids don't have their own rooms there's just all kinds of here like he pays no attention to them mm-hmm. yeah there's nothing here to make them comfortable he's very self-absorbed yeah and then so we're we're just like what is this what is going on here she and her husband she's super pregnant once again yeah and she pops those those stairs with that heavy suitcase like not even holding the railing like (laughs) yeah i'm very he's like making it harder by trying to shimmy past her on the stairs and take the bag look fucker at this point just follow her and meet her at the top because you're just gonna make her fall down or something she's conditioned because she's so used to carrying the entire load of the family on her back. A a likely heavy suitcase is nothing. As soon as she's in that house, she's like, I'm in charge of everything around me and I don't even live here. Yeah. Right. And this is why, this is why I've left you. This is like all everything, the chaos that you bring. 
So she leaves, she and her husband, they're going to visit. They, they make it clear they're going to Boston. They're going to be with her parents. They're going to hang out. So he has the kids for just a few days. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she knows how disastrous it's probably going to be. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so she has a cell phone with her. And then he's, so he's taking care of the kids. He and the son, the son's wearing a Boston Red Sox cap. He's wearing yeah. a Yankees cap. Biggie and Tupac here. It's not going to. Sure. It's, yeah. yeah. That's how it is. That's how it is. He says to him. And that's. Yeah. 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 The kid takes off. So he takes a nap because he doesn't care about his kids. Doesn't it's a perfect spend a demonstration. It's a perfect demonstration, actually, of his whole personality when they are yeah. in the backyard playing yeah. catch. And like the first the first one he throws at him, his son catches it. And this is his dad. This is a grown man. Yeah. Tom Cruise says to him, that's half what I got in the tank. It's like, oh, my your son is. 15 he doesn't have a license yet like he's maximum 16 year old unlicensed driver yeah and you're like swinging your dick around about how you can throw harder than him unwarmed up in your backyard like you are the worst literally everything in that movie up until the moment that the all three of them get in the car is if the aliens hadn't invaded, this would just be something that Dakota Fanning would retell to her therapist in 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like this is, it's, it's everything about this. Yeah. I, I Sometimes I would see my dad, I'd go to yeah. his house and yeah, it was tough. I mean, there was no food. He didn't really have yeah. anything for us. And then I, when I asked him what we were supposed to eat, he was like, I don't know. I work for a living. I'm going to take a nap. You yeah. order like everything about, you can so clearly see the parentification of uh, Robbie <laughs> yeah. Like as we see yeah, later Robbie in the movie, cares Robbie for cares Rachel. and takes care of Rachel and mm-hmm. knows things about Rachel that her father has no idea about. <laughs> yeah. And no things. interest. No, Even her none. like life-threatening peanut allergy. Yeah. When she when she's like, I don't, I'm allergic to peanuts. Right? Like, since when? Since birth. Like, that's yeah. a serious allergy. Man has never known. And he's so mad at her. Furious. Yeah. And that yeah. Oh, so yeah. We'll, eat, we'll, we'll eat. We'll eat sand peanut sandwiches, and you can have some bread. Is yeah. the solution for a ten-year-old <laughs> who is being deeply traumatized, who thinks her mother is dead? Is, yeah. Here, have some white bread. Everything's fine. Yeah. Like every single scene that Tom, up until basically the movie becomes Tom Cruise carrying Dakota Fanning and running. Yeah. Every scene is an "Am I the asshole?" post on Reddit. It and it really, yeah. It re- like yeah. it is so honest like the like the way they establish what a selfish mm-hmm. like this is a, a, a tremendous reality index in this movie of i know that dad yeah. like yep. that's not quite my dad was a shitty dad in other ways not that kind of dad, but like it's like no that is the the completeness in big and small ways that they reinforce his failings as an adult and a man and a father. And like that heart wrenching moment where Robbie's like, Robbie's feeling the fire of vengeance. Like Robbie wants to join the service and go mm-hmm. fight the aliens. And at oh. one point he's trying to get an entire army caravan to like take him with, take me to the fight. And he's trying to chase them down the, trying to chase him down a back road. And Rachel starts getting mad at him. She's hitting him. She was like, where are you going? What are you doing? Who's going to take care of me if you go? And her dad is right there. Not like yeah. out of earshot. Yeah. Not even on the other side of a car. He is right there. And he is so irrelevant as a caretaking and authority figure. She, it like, it, I, and the Tom Cruise, good actor, actually. Like, he does such a good job with being that cocksure bastard who is so humiliated 
by what a failing he is that he will just keep reinforcing through his own ego that he can get them through any situation. I find the I find the disaster dad shittiness of this movie to be incredibly authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and he yeah, he leans into it and we understand like the, the one thing he has going for him is the one thing they need from him. He can carry her yeah, and yeah. run with her really well. Yeah. <laughs> and he can figure out very quickly what to do. Oh, you know, there's a monster in the water right now on this ferry. Uh-huh. We need to do this right now. Yeah. Oh, we're being sucked into this thing in the sky. Mm-hmm. Okay. You hold on to this. I'll hold on to that. I got some grenades with me. Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> like he knows what to do because he's such a selfish prick. Yeah. And he does love them enough that he will fight for them. Yeah. He's yes. just, you know, he can't think beyond i need to clean the house he yeah. can't think beyond i should have ordered fresh direct before they came over yeah <laughs> so at least have some snacks like they can't do that but he can't but he is good in those ways and it really is the only way that he can be good because the only yeah. way uh, the only way that profile of guy actually rises to the occasion is when they finally get the like like club and raw stake opportunity to like be hunter gatherer protector because anything that involves emotional intelligence is a complete fucking non-starter yeah it's a non-starter he's just he's an aggro guy and this is his chance Mm -hmm. yeah you know they don't have crossfit yet he has no place to take this energy (laughs) this is the opportunity that presents itself i like also when and it sounds like i'm shitting on this movie i'm not i think it's very well done Mm -hmm. yeah i think i kind of like the choice they make that he is an asshole because it really because you're right it rings true that's why they're divorced yeah makes oh yeah and i and i understand why she's making the choice to not fight with him all the time because what's the point he's never going to see his faults You know, and it's just like she left him because she didn't want her kids to hear them screaming all the time. And she's not going to do this again. And her new and her guy who she's having another baby with. He's clearly rich. And like, you know, dad, like we pay for you to go to school. So you don't not so you can like fuck off. And Robbie's like, you don't pay for it. Tim does. It's like, oh, you are a loser. (laughs) Tim with the safe car. Tim with the same car. car. Tim with the same car. Tim with the big house in the suburbs. Tim who's paying for the good schools, Mm -hmm. like all of the above. Tim Tim who's going to be the reason these kids want to come home at Christmas because they know they have a safe place to come back to. True. Rachel, by the way, I was just going to say the fact that Rachel can ride horses. (laughs) What an incredibly expensive hobby. Yeah. I think the one way the movie. I think what Steven Spielberg does with the Dakota Fanning character, which is not good for her, is that he's taking Gertie from E.T. and he's putting that in Dakota, which is like Gertie was great at screaming. I don't know if you are E.T. Oh, God, yeah. I grew up on that like crack. Like that was like my my fix. I loved Mm E.T. and I wanted to be Drew Barrymore when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And they have her screaming like a a true Gen Xer. Yes. Yes, I am. I mean, I, I wear that hard. I wear that on my sleeve. But uh, she she's somebody like they have her screaming a lot. And I get it. I mean, of course. Yeah. But uh, she was voted like most like useless in an event or something like that. Like there's sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That like, I think that and, and Dakota Fanning, by the way, such a great actor with her eyes. It with is her a ears, tremendous she, performance. Amazing. Like, yeah. This is an adult performance in this. Yes. Movie. Yeah. A kid. Yeah, she's and she and she was in a show. I don't know if you either one of you are familiar with it. 
It's called Taken, and I'm not talking yeah. about. No, it's a good show too. I like that one. Um, but it's called Taken, and it was from Sci Fi Network. Mm-hmm. It's like 2000. It's not the Liam Neeson series, right? Yeah, get mm-hmm. in the car and then call <laughs> me, and then blah, blah. it's not that. But she played a little kid that's like an alien that comes to Earth, and mm-hmm. she's such a. She was like five when she did it, and she was so good. She no, was like, I'm I'm pro Fannings all yeah. the way down. It's Fannings all the, all the way down for yeah. me. I, I absolutely Fannings. love those sisters. I think the uh, Tim Robbins performance and character wow. is weird, but wow. great. Mm-hmm. And that scene is scary as anything. Oh, it's yeah. a true. Like, it's a true horror movie performance. He's a he is the like we have in the Tim Robbins basement scene. We suddenly have entered the last 15 minutes of a really good horror movie that yeah. feels lived yes. in the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's a combination of. I don't know if I remember mentioned it, but like book versus movie is one of my shows. And we covered this movie, mm. um, mm-hmm. HG Wells and his character is like a combination of three characters from the original story. Mm. Okay. And, but Tim, he's done like a few movies. I'm thinking of Jacob's ladder. That's like also yeah. A yeah. that, he's, this, is, that like, he's done. this guy is like living in the country version of mystic river. Yes. Like the nervous, yeah, that's a good the nervous sort of like self-isolated, alienating guy who like mm. yeah. nervous is yeah. his way into a lot of trouble. Yeah. And I kind of, and I think there's sometimes I'm like Spielberg must have been so sick of Cruz's shit because there's sometimes where like Tom Cruise and, and Tim are like next to each other. And Tim is like, yeah, Robbins is like what? Six, four. He's yeah, big and he there's looks no, like he's, eight he's like a smash yeah. him. Like, yeah, there's no way with you have Tim Robbins to get anybody else in frame to look proportional to him. It's just not possible. I mean, Kevin Costner up against him in Bull Durham. I was going to say, where's the Bull yeah. Durham reference going to come in? <laughs> I, you knew it was coming. Great movie. But yeah, yeah, no, Tim Robbins has the physicality of Edgar in Men in Black. The Edgar suit. Yes. I mean, yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio, huge. Yeah, but yeah, like they have <laughs> the same, yeah. that same hulking, lurking, and then Tim Robbins playing crazy on top of that, which Tim Robbins, like, there are certain actors who just, they're not just going to act, they're going to most act. <laughs> and Tim Robbins, like, he's good at it, which is the difference between yeah. most acting and, like, in, in a lot of actors. Tim Robbins does the most, but he's great at it, so it works. But when you've got that height, that physicality going up against Tom Cruise, who in this movie, once he's not playing shitty dad, he's kind of just moves into Tom Cruise action mode. Yeah. Yeah. He could like, be a Mission Impossible again. And yeah. That once once they're on the run, there's not a lot of of actually like you kind of lose most of the vestiges of what Ray's character is established to be. Um and so it's kind of one of those things where you have the most acting going up against sort of the Tom Cruise neutral, which just amplifies both ends of it even more that Tom Cruise is having a fairly normal time in the apocalypse. And meanwhile, Tim Robbins is going full Shawshank in. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, he's ready to swim into the mud, into yeah. the rain. Yeah, I, I like that scene, though. And I and the, the special effects in this movie are excellent. They yeah. super hold up. The little Man, alien that, creatures. It are, really like yeah. that. That sequence where they are the van fleeing from the neighborhood with yeah the, like and the bridge collapsing behind it and the houses being destroyed it was yeah watching that lot like this i forgot how much this movie scares me and the older i get the more like i'm i'm horror movies are like my area of specialization the yeah. older I get, it's not like the more I see them, the like the more numb I get. The older yeah. I get, the more intense they all feel. And because I find it impossible. There's no 
there's no membrane anymore between like me and the character. And I don't like, I can't look at things and be like, wow, it's crazy. That's happening to them. Everything is what would, what if this was happening to me? And I immediately go to a scenario, like anytime it's that, especially those like buildups of like the first like 20 minutes, half hour of a horror movie Mm -hmm. where you're like the stage is being set. Every extraordinary thing he encounters, I'm just like, what would I do? And then I'm overwhelmed with fear at the oh my god what would i do when he's running back and he's packing up his family when they're getting in that van when they're driving away every time i'm like what the fuck would i do and then it becomes right. so real to me and it is so like i especially like alien and supernatural things as i get older like anytime it's like if a thing falls and it's not supposed to i'm getting too scared and this is like jesus christ jordan what would you seriously do if you saw fucking alien the size of a building outside what would you do and then i'm like you'd piss yourself and die like there's nothing interesting that you would do there's nothing heroic you would do because it's scary to function yeah i told somebody once we were talking when walking dead was really popular yeah Yeah. and somebody said like what would be your strategy and my (laughs) as like my strategy yeah Yeah. myself and barbecue sauce and i'd head down flatbush avenue (laughs) you want to live you go the opposite way I'm going as quickly as possible. I know. I have I, no I, skills. I, yeah. I know more and more people <laughs> who say the same thing where they're like, I'm jumping off a bridge. That's what yeah. I'm doing. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm ending this. Like, I, and yeah. I, I love the, um, what I love about that is just the self-awareness as we grow up to be like, fuck no, I know who no. I am. Yeah. Yeah. I know Younger, sure. But me now, mm. I, I would be of no use to anybody. <laughs> I, 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 would, I have no skills. I, I have some good jokes. That's yeah. about it. You know, there the bum go. ankle. I mean, and, that's a uh, crucial character in any horror movie. Right. The problem is that the exactly. funny person does die. That does. Right. I want to be, I want it on my own terms. So yeah. I'm just, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I, I love the fact, and that goes back to the realism is that the, the smart choice was going back to the beginning is they picked Bayonne, New Jersey. Mm. Like these mm-hmm. disaster movies always want to blow up the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. Or, I, you know what I mean? That's like a great yeah. it's this neighborhood that I know and it mm-hmm. looks like people that I know. Yeah. What if like all of a sudden these tripod the tripods are scary? The tripods which is are the original so gorgeous drawings yeah. from yeah. the original story. Yeah. Yep. I mean, when they're attacking the people on the street, that's really yeah awful and horrifying so yeah it's, it's yeah that truly... grounding moment of him getting home and rachel being like what's on you and it's and not his neighbor hurt. it's human ash yeah like he's covered what? in hu- he's covered in cremains yeah and has yeah. a panic attack when he realizes it and you're like yeah like yeah. that whole sequence of him getting back and just being catatonic until he starts frantically washing the people off of him is right oh so good yeah. 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 It's it it's really a strong movie. It's it's I I went no. to a I I I've never done the like universal tour like around like oh, yeah. do with the studio, but I went there one morning when I was a vulture I was doing a CBS news like morning news show spot where they were talking about horror movies it was October and that was usually when I got asked to do like if I there's media stuff that I was going to do that year it was going to be in October about horror movies and they were filming it they got permission to film it outside the psycho house on the mm-hmm. lot of universal so that right. meant, but like it's like tv so we had to get there call time was like 6 30 in the morning yeah so I and like I had permission to be on the lot so they let me through and everything there's like nobody there who doesn't work there so I'm just driving up to the psycho house and I parked next to it and I was the first one there and it's like that still that morning like 
mistiness up in like the hills mm-hmm. around you. Oh yeah. And like you walk around the other side of that house and it is the plane crash scene. Yeah set up from war of the worlds so i came around i'm just like looking around and i walk into the fucking plane crash scene and it's <gasps> covered in mist just yeah. like it is in the movie and this is this is this is like imagineers on steroids you have universal studios professionals build it so it's real it's you walk around that yeah. and you're looking at a real <gasps> scene of carnage and i remember i froze i was yeah. like <gasps> Like there was, there's no tour guide here to like create a, like break the illusion for me. I was just suddenly in, in hell. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh my God. I like turned around and just like slowly walked back to my car. It was freaking me out too much. It was like, that's just a fuselage. Yeah. Oh my God. Clothes strewn everywhere. It was. Oh, that's crazy. Incredible. Yeah. I felt like I was getting like the secret access tour to the. <laughs> yeah, but did you want it? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. Oh. Well, then we like we went to the we went to the door of the psycho house too, and like you're not supposed to like you, you open the door and it's just like it's just wood. It's, it's yeah. the house is only yeah. exterior. But like we wanted to, like they wanted just like B roll kind of stuff. So we me and the host went up to the door to just like see if we could open the door, and we didn't expect it to open, but like it clearly hadn't been accessed in a minute. Like, probably not too long. They surely do, like, reparative maintenance inside to make sure it's, like, structurally secure. But, like, we turned the knob and we looked at each other and we're like, what? <laughs> we kept turning. And then we just pushed on it. It did the classic, like, like oh, God. oh, my goodness. We both, like, shrunk back and we were like, no, 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 no. The nope. psycho house is not spooky creaking at us right now. We were <laughs> sincerely. It, like, opened again into wood and scaffolding. But just, like, the exterior and the sound was too much. It was too too scary i feel like they I they leave that. the the joints specifically unoiled to give that effect for anybody who decide like just to give the experience yeah it was out, it was horrifying. outstanding execution outstanding yeah. execution can't say I, enough about it i did the one time i did halloween horror nights at universal was 2007 we'll do it. um so like two movies and so to, i am terrified of aliens to give a little bit of like explanation this yeah. is not amanda a probably wouldn't watch an alien movie unless a, a, somebody who was coming on was like yeah. let's do an alien movie otherwise she's never going to be like turn let's do an alien movie no that's not a okay. choice i'm making no um and i did see war of the worlds in theaters uh when it came out because it was like you can't not see a yeah. steven spielberg blockbuster movie like that's ridiculous and so i went with my mm-hmm. family and then was promptly traumatized despite being 20 at that point so I mean, well into my scary and you have a phobia yeah terrifying and i just could not funk like i was walking through the grove looking at everyone's looking at the um the water fountain doing the dancing yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, aliens could totally get us because we're just standing here staring at dancing water. Like, yeah. I, like that <laughs> yeah. was the place my brain went to. But yeah, I did Halloween Horror Nights. And one of I don't know if they still do it, but one of the mazes was through the um, the universal through the the airplane fuselage. Wow. No. Yeah. No, just don't ever do not recommend. I don't, don't do real life haunts. I don't do no. real life haunts. I love scary movies and scary stuff stays on a screen away from me. Fair. I don't even want to go in a corn maze. I don't want to go with any. Oh, no. I don't want to go on a haunted hayride. I yeah. don't want anything where I feel threatened by the space. None. No. Zero no, percent. Of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Unnecessary. Way, which is, I think I'm, again speaks to what all of our reactions would be in the face of the apocalypse, which is nope. I'm out. I'm done. I just don't need to live. I, I don't need to live my life in that way. I mean, granted, no. during with um, because like with the zombie apocalypse thing, my old apartment had like four doors to get through. And or in stairs to get. Yeah, there were a lot of doors. Yeah, there was like several doors. There were some stairs, and I was like, you know what? I can probably ride it out here. 
in because they just can't get to me and like my my building had a bunch of like was a sort of like a vacation home for a lot of people so I was like I can bust into people's apartments I can get their stored food Mm -hmm. I can probably ride out the zombie apocalypse in this building but do I want to was the question yeah Yeah. that's do I want to it's a quality of life question that's why like every time I saw a guy on a dating app who's like I could fun thing about me I could survive the zombie apocalypse and it's like sir no you can't you have no critical like I know you think you can you're going to be Rick James or Rick Grimes is his name, whatever. But you're not. You have no functional skills. You're not a raccoon. You can't do anything. Um, <laughs> you're not a raccoon. I feel like raccoons says. are best suited to survive an apocalypse because they're like dumpster divers and they're cleanly and you know they, they, they they're cleanly. They are. They wash all their food. They wash yeah. themselves. Like I, but I'm just like no, you do. You don't have that skill set because you don't have the mental and emotional skill set to survive it. And I think like once, that's why I will get to the ending of it. But like. There's no world in which Tom Cruise Ray is is equipped to handle the emotional and mental and physical fallout of the post-apocalyptic world with his kids. Like that's the last time he sees his children again. <laughs> they're just, I love they're, you. That's all I have. Yeah. He like he's like, no, I, I'm going to go see the world for a little bit. And like he gets in his Mustang and drives off. There's no world in which he is prepared. He for provide- sure would like do like four years in China, like that yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm going to go help, you know, be a lot of containers out there need to be moved now. <laughs> and he'd become like yeah. a journeyman. There's no world in which he's prepared to give Rachel the patience and understanding that a child with an anxiety disorder who has now <laughs> lived through one of the most traumatizing events, you know, that as Morgan Freeman, the voiceover actor tells us, yeah. uh, at the cost of a billion lives, man earned their right to live on this planet. So yeah. we lost a billion. A billion. So yeah, we, we lost. lost yeah. Yeah. To, to germs. And it was just because yeah. of germs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love and that is the original I, I think story. Yeah, that's such a mm-hmm. strength of this. It like the timelessness of the story. Yeah. The fact mm-hmm. that our might meant nothing. Yeah. That like we got lucky. In that this is our biome and they reacted fatally to our biome. There was absolutely nothing about the, like, even in Independence Day, we, we figure out how to break their shields and mm-hmm. we don't figure out how to break their shields. They're too sick to maintain them Yeah, in this right. movie. And the fact that we survive by chance and that, you know, the mightiest organisms are the ones you can't even see kind of situation. I do love that as a sort of tale as old as time aspect of war. I think it really like and you can you can stylize however you end it. Like we obviously go into a raindrop that becomes the universe right. sort of situation. But I it's it's a it's a it, it's some it as a as an older person now watching this movie, the, the poignancy of that ending like resonates with me a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. I did not draw to get the line, the straight line from M. Night Shyamalan, like from War of the Worlds to M. Night Shyamalan's signs until now. Right. Because yeah. I, yeah. But, throw the water uh, at him. Th- yeah. Just throw water at him. Uh, they, they invaded a planet, but didn't do their full research. It really is like, God, the flourishes of, of it. I, every, because like Steven Spielberg and Ridley Scott, man, they're just going to keep making fucking movies. It's yeah. unbelievable how these, yeah. how these guys just keep making movies. And Ridley's a, like a little more hit and miss, I feel like, than Steven Spielberg. But it's it's such a treat to any time I watch a Spielberg movie, like, 
god this guy's good at this oh yeah like the even like and and like not like from like an unbelievable scene like going looking at over the crest of like the literal war of the worlds playing out with like an, a massive firefight and like one of the tripods rising covered oh, in flames god. but even just that tiny moment of them playing catch in the backyard where like he's just being a dick to his kid and he hauls off and he's gonna wing a fastball at him and the kid just dodges it and lets it break the kitchen window for some reason there's something about that and then like you see the point of view through the glass on the other yeah. side you just see ray yes. staring through the, the glass that he's just broken in his own window and it's like fucking steven spielberg man yeah. this guy knows how to frame a thing he knows how to give you the epic he knows how to make the tiny gargantuan and nobody lights an alien invasion like steven fucking spielberg i rewatched yeah. close encounters the third time recently and was like shit this still looks so good like the lights pouring into the yeah. house and the flashing of the yellow and the blue and then when they're in the basement and there's the flashing of the yellow and the blue i mean this guy does a sci-fi reveal still yeah. like nobody I, can fucking touch him i mean jaws is a really good movie and oh, they yeah. had a terrible shark yeah, yeah. That, they, it doesn't matter editing yeah yeah and he just he let robert shaw like write something in this scene like you know come you have a speech like tell the speech thing we need something to like take up yeah. the space he listens to actors he likes mm -hmm. actors yeah. he likes actors he, and he and he, he has a heart you know he's yeah. sentimental oh like, yeah there's a part of, you know there's yeah. a part of that in there he has his own anger from his childhood that he's mm -hmm. still kind of tapping mm -hmm. into he's good at adapting stories he yeah. knows the yeah. whole story he's trying to tell he really gets and, out of the way for the story yeah yeah like, it, it feels like it's undeniably a steven spielberg movie but it doesn't feel like a steven spielberg display piece when he's adapting something he's He's right. extremely, when he's telling a story, he's extremely focused on creating the movie. Like, this is a weird way to say it, but he's basically, he's trying to put, you can see him very much putting the movie onto the screen that he would want, he would be watching if he, as a film, like that's, he, he's trying to he's make an the experience. fan. Yeah. One yeah. thing I think is really interesting about the script is that um, it's co-written by David Cope, who mm -hmm. wrote Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wonder in retrospect, how much of Ray... Ray's dialogue on the page and the acting choices Tom Cruise makes could be completely different. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how much of this film Ray's kind of weaponized incompetence throughout this movie mm -hmm. in the hands of an actor who has a gentler sort of persona. Like Sam Neill is he's sure. not gentle, but there is a gentleness to him and mm -hmm. a sort of an introspection to him that yeah. makes his you always get the sense when he is with the kids that it's not that he's he's annoyed by their presence, but it's more that he's also just like, this is a species I don't know how to handle. Yeah. Like there is right. a there is a sort of awkward. It's like somebody being thrust a baby and, you know, and, and they don't know how to hold a baby. And with Tom Cruise, with with Ray's character in this, there's a moment there's a degree to which his character could just as easily have been played that way. And I'm curious about how much of the ray being a dick it was intentional on the part of steven spielberg versus the part of tom cruise it feels I, very ingrained like it, it's such a yeah. core level of dereliction of like fatherly responsibility yeah. and like dickhead husband i feel like that feels like a core thing right but it also feels like a thing that tom cruise can do with like a wink and a and a and a and a smirk yeah that it's, it's exactly what you cast tom for 
But it's just interesting because it's for when we talk about the look of when we talk about the history of Spielberg movies, it's not unusual for him to have a character who doesn't know what the fuck to do with kids. It is unusual for him to have one who is so deeply unlikable Mm -hmm. as Ray is in this film. Yeah, well, he's talked about that. There was a documentary about Spielberg. It was on HBO a few years ago. And he he is t- tortured a bit about his yeah. childhood. And there's a lot in there about fathers and absent fathers and people yeah. not connecting with their kids. I also, there's something about Tom Cruise, like Cruise wants what Cruise wants. And mm-hmm. that's Porta Cruise. Right. And yeah. there's that famous recording Cruise did on the set of Mission Impossible where he's so angry at the crew because somebody did the dereliction of their duty and they mm-hmm. were supposed to do well it's a, it was somebody broke it was somebody like compromised COVID protocol yeah and right was, and he yeah. and he had a meltdown over mm-hmm. and I mean it was this constant like I talk to people all over Hollywood every night you know like he the, he's the one person that's saving Hollywood mm-hmm. it's not like we have to keep things safe because people are getting sick. It's like, I'm saving Hollywood and you're fucking that up for me. There's this hero within himself. Oh, sure. That he, that there is ego. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. Like you can't you, there to a degree. You can't, you can't sort of, you can't be the star that he is without it. Cause like, like it right. is yeah. like the, is like the DTV, like B movie level of that. Exactly. Where, like yes. you can't be Dom. You can't be like the Furian of the pitch black universe unless you see yourself as a Christ figure mm-hmm, in like right. in, like some messianic way. Because it's like, oh shit, no, you like, you like believe this. Yeah. Right. When, when you were talking you about Tom Cruise and practical this. effects, I was going right. to say, how has he not done a Fast and the Furious yet? Because of the fact that there is nobody, the only person whose dedication to practical effects is still as strong as Tom Cruise's is Vin Diesel. That's it. That's just the two of them are like Vin Diesel is just as dedicated is the is the insane version of Tom Cruise, which is a crazy thing to say when you consider it's already Tom crazy is fucking crime climbing the Burj Khalifa without a harness and shit. Mm-hmm. Vin couldn't touch Tom. No, Sorry, agreed. But, can't but touch I, this shit. <laughs> but I feel like if you're gonna if you're gonna like parachute cars out of out of an aircraft carrier or a airplane, mm-hmm. if you're gonna skydive cars out of it. I feel like there's a world in which Tom Cruise could be behind the wheel of one of those. Oh, I don't think Tom Cruise would let the shoot happen without him being behind the wheel. Right, of one exactly. Of those. That's what I'm no. saying. Like, I feel like there's a world we need. I, I, I don't know how we haven't gotten it yet, and I feel like we, we must at some point get a Mission Impossible. I mean, he's doing the motorcycle off the cliff in the next yeah. movie where he parachutes from that, yeah. which is basically the same thing. So I'm just he's saying, doing like, it. What we need is we truly need a Vin Diesel, Tom Cruise movie where we just like one man's going to be left standing. I would I never want really to sorry see for it. that crew. I would never <laughs> want to see it because they're both too deeply serious and sincere. Yeah. They're both too earnest to share a screen, actually. Well, so they that so is The Rock. And yet somehow. Oh, that, no, but he will never be in another fast movie again. I know, but we can just keep yeah. cycling. Like, but, but he did it. We've got if we if the rock could do it and somehow manage to be in a scene where he and Vin Diesel are the same height. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the most impressive feats of practical of in-camera work. Yeah. Of the 21st century, certainly. Is yeah, making them appear where each of them is the same height, no matter what angle they're. You know, being an, shot an at. interesting thing about like I think a, a core, like looking at those two as like movie star profiles, Tom Cruise has a willingness to be subservient to a scene mm. that Vin Diesel absolutely does not have. 
Yeah. Like you watch mm-hmm. like Tom Cruise will be shorter than Tim Robbins in a scene. Tom Cruise will be the fall guy. Tom Cruise will be the butt of a joke. He will get punched around as Ethan Hawke and be like, abadi, 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 abadi. And like, he'll always win because that's the point. But like Tom Cruise will be on the receiving end of a drubbing or a humiliation in a way that Vin Diesel simply will not. The Rock simply will not. There's a, I think it's actually a phenomenal scene in the Maverick movie with him and uh, Jennifer Connelly, where she's teaching him how to sail. And he's obviously the man of the skies and she's the woman of the sea and never the twain shall meet. He's uneasy on a boat. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing out there. And she's like lovingly barking orders at him. And he doesn't deflect from the scene. He doesn't say something like, well, once if I got you in the skies, we'd see who'd be on top. There's no masculine posturing to compensate for his inferiority in that scene. He fully becomes Little Spoon when he gets behind the yoke of the boat and she's got her arms around him showing him how to steer. And there's never a moment in that where he has to imply the size of his dick to make up for the inferiority that he has in the face of Jennifer Connelly. That is not something that male stars do. Yeah. And that is something that Tom Cruise is still willing to do. And I think, I don't think there is a male star that is actually as secure in his presence and persona as Cruise to be willing to look like a fucking idiot sometimes that he does. And also the way he will, I wrote a piece on it when I was at Vulture. I was waiting. Um, I was going to say, if you didn't bring it up, I was going to say, Jordan, don't you have a piece that is a yeah. great title? And this was, this was before, at, like it, before Atomic Blondes, before we got like females, like spin off, like solo female hero movies. And it was the title. It was the best place for a woman in an action movie is next to Tom Cruise. Because Tom Cruise will be pretty much damned guaranteed a sexually safe figure for a woman to be around tom cruise will set up a like he will pitch a scene to a woman so she can knock it out of the park he will be her comic relief he will allow he will allow for her to have as much of like an ass kicking presence in a film as he has he will make a space for a female co-star to be every bit as cool as him look at the Mission Impossible term where it basically became an Ilsa Faust movie with Rebecca Ferguson, the last Mission Impossible, the Rebecca, like Vanessa Kirby is fucking tremendous in that. Rebecca Ferguson is tremendous in that. He is a generous co-star in that regard. And up to that time, and in many ways, like still there isn't another male co-star that does it like Tom Cruise for his female co-stars. Now they can actually have their own movies. But I still stand by that thesis that like at the time, especially there was not a better place you could be in an action movie short of having your own than next to Tom Cruise and sometimes even better than having your own because you're still going to be unless you get lucky gazed into the very like male fetishistic version of what a female action hero is and a Tom Cruise movie actually doesn't have a male fetishistic gaze upon women because his films are so desexualized yeah and not desexualized in that like I'm not I'm not gonna fuck on screen but I'm the rock and my dick goes down to my feet and like that kind of like virile show we have to have there's no show of virility in a Tom Cruise action movie beyond the like I am old I am I am pure god like sexless organ (laughs) like kind of smooth Dr. Manhattan figure but like without the dick yeah but yeah that's my my rant on Tom Cruise yeah agree I like it yeah it's it's absolutely true and I mean, this, that's why there's no sense in this movie, which I mean, like the Roland Emmerich trademark of yeah. at the end of this film, the family will be together again. And <laughs> yeah. there's a little bit of that fantasy because obviously 
the uh, new husband is not in the in the brownstone, which mm-hmm. I have a theory about, but we'll get to that. <laughs> um, but the, 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 new, the new husband is not in the brownstone, but there's no sense of like he's going to reconnect and the family will be reunited. Like no. Tom Cruise doesn't have a moment where he like runs up and like hugs Miranda, mm-hmm. Miranda Otto and is like everything is good again. Which yeah. we, like uh, 2012 when we get that moment where it's like, yes, now we see John Cusack has earned Amanda Peet. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah, and you don't. Have we're even going to kill the other guy. Yeah, we're going to kill the other guy <laughs> on and it's screen. Going to be fine. Because yeah, we're all secretly rooting for the nuclear family to be reunited, and there's none of that in this movie. And um, Steven Spielberg is not afraid of heartbreak. Oh yeah, but and also right. Steven Spielberg is always kind of there is a little bit of that like boyish. Why do we need? What do we need them for? Like, what do we need a romance for? There's not a lot of. <laughs> yeah. Like one of the best relate again because Jurassic Park is probably one of is is it is maybe my favorite script at this point. Um, you with Ellie and Grant and Grant and mm-hmm. Alan Grant, you, there is it's not a love story; it's a respect story. Mm-hmm, there's not there, it's not there's not a sexuality to it. It's these are two people who are peers and equals, which is probably why, like of when you talk about any of these sorts of big blockbustery movies, mm-hmm. that relationship is one that people come back to like that matters to people. And I think mm-hmm. it's because it's never been a love story. It's always been about two peers who we believe in because they are adults who connect in that way versus like Will Smith and Vivica Fox, where like their love story is ancillary. And Vivica yeah. Fox is great in the movie and it has nothing. It's not on her. It's just that nope. that love story is ancillary. Whereas like with Jurassic Park, it's even though it's not the main part of the story, everyone in retrospect is like Alan and Ellie are our parents. And so there's never with it's an interesting thing to see with his blockbusters that there isn't necessarily a sense of romance, but there is a sense of respect. And so the fact that with this, he just has no interest in it. Ultimately, Tom, it Steven does make Spielberg Tom is not, a very appropriate protagonist. for yeah, Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg is never trying. Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg has no interest in the kissing scene. Yeah, that is not a thing Steven Spielberg is going to do um, for better or for worse. And I think generally speaking for better. But that's why with the end of the resolution of this movie, it is not a Roland Emmerich resolution because of it, <laughs> which is it's for the better, because as we've discussed, it's something insane about disaster adopted disaster children or disaster remarriages. It's an insane response to these moments. But it's a. Yeah, he's not known for his sex scenes, is he? I no. mean, he's not. No, Tom Cruise hasn't. I think like Night and Day might have something like that. But yeah. other than that, at the time I wrote that article I was mentioning, Tom Cruise hadn't had sex on screen since Vanilla Sky. Yeah. And that was like 2003. Yeah. And like Night and Day, he's a bit more of a cad. Yeah. Um, And that's that's it's kind of it's a very much a departure from like what he would kind of do for the rest of the 21st century. But yeah, he hasn't Um, he he hasn't like there has. Well, there is the sex scene in Maverick, but it is like it's so like tender and sentimental. It's right. very but it's very much like the original. Yeah. yeah. But I'm also thinking of like also Steven Spielberg. Yeah, Spielberg doesn't, doesn't a lot of sex, do sex scenes. sex scenes. No, he's a very it's not puritanical. He has a very. Like I said, he's making the movies that he would have wanted to have seen as a kid. There's a there's a very sort of chaste, but an almost an unawareness of sexuality that works for the mm-hmm. like that's just not what he's preoccupied with. That's not what the story has to have that to make for him interesting. And so yeah, there's no reason to have it, which is why I think partly why the stories he tells ends up like so many of the stories he tells, like you said, are him working through the his childhood. And so there's a real sense of like his stories are almost not always, but very often 
parent-child stories or child stories. So there's no place in them for there to be the sexuality of adulthood. So there's no need for it. And I, and he doesn't try to wedge it in, which I really appreciate. Well, and I think too, yeah. that I, there's a, cause he's, he's, you know, he's, he's our sort of, he invented the modern blockbuster with Jaws. And I think there's a, a notion of sentimentality attached to Steven Spielberg that is true, but kind of gets over prescribed in the sense of like, one of his first movies is um, Sugarland Express, mm-hmm. which is just like a like a Bonnie and Clyde kind of story. And it has mm-hmm. and it's a tremendous performance by Goldie Hawn. It's it's a very good movie. And it's unlike almost anything else that we know Steven Spielberg, we associate Steven Spielberg with. It's just a very like sort of stripped down character drama with a very unhappy ending. And then you like you look back through the guy's filmography and apart from like like Jaws was again, it was like a blockbuster and you get like the, you know, smile, you son of a bitch. And like, let's blow up the shark. But like Jurassic Park is a happy ending. But like Schindler's List is an obviously a meditation on like terror and pain and loss. Amistad, Saving Private Ryan, like yeah. Munich. Right. These are stories. West Side fucking story. War of the Worlds. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Like these are movies about bad things happening to people these are movies about et i can't watch it it's too painful it's too sad it's too vividly vividly (laughs) agonizing like it's one of the most yeah no no no. it gives you the feels upsetting movies that i've ever seen in my life and so this guy like steven spielberg will hurt you steven spielberg is like kind of here to hurt you because he, it is inextricable from his movies, the reality of human suffering. <laughs> yeah. And he's going to actually not give you a happy ending. I feel like more than most people consider it, like more than most people like my mom, people who talk about movies for a living, sure. But like people like my mom, who when they think of Steven Spielberg and get all warm and tingly inside, it's like, yeah. I don't know, man, like I'm still really stuck on the end of E.T. Like I'm still really, I'm still really stuck on the end of like, Richard Dreyfus not even telling his family he's leaving Earth to go off with the aliens fucking thing. <laughs> like, right, right. Yeah. Well, well El, I think, you know, E.T. Uh, lives, by the way. I mean, yeah. E.T.'s e. okay. Yeah, I no. Mean, also, Bridge of Spies is a really good recent yeah. Steven Spielberg yeah. movie that's also pretty dark. I think Spielberg also with his ilk, his friends from the 70s, mm-hmm. uh, Brian De Palma, Martin Scorsese. I mm-hmm. mean, He's the most emotional. Mm-hmm. You get the yeah. most emotion from him. I mean, De Palma is a very cold director, I yeah. find, mm-hmm. uh, but also very sexual, has a lot of hypersexuality oh, yeah. and a lot of violence in what he does. It's interesting like how they tell their stories differently. So um, AI is like AI and E.T. Hey, do you want to be, wow, yeah. be fucking devastated for yeah. five hours? Have fun. Like <laughs> that movie is yeah. agony. Yeah, the, the thing with the thing with Spielberg that differentiates is there's two. So his movies are brutal, but he does not. He is not somebody who takes. I don't want like who takes pleasure in depicting the pain of it. No, there no. is no the suffering to him isn't the end goal in and of itself, which is why he's the only director who makes good Holocaust films, because that's a great he, point. He. He is not depicting the pain and suffering as the story itself. It is, mm-hmm. this is the thing that happened and here is what the results were. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a very, and that's why he is the only director that I really trust with 
telling Holocaust stories because so often, much like with slavery stories, where it becomes sort of the suffering is the point. And and Steven Spielberg is often using the suffering to make a point. It isn't the point. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing that's interesting about Spielberg is he and uh, Mike Nichols, both like I know like they both are trying to tell the same story over and over again. And so like if you look at Steven Spielberg's filmography, there's a few outliers, but to a large degree, like he has sort of in the same way that like you can divide up Shakespeare's plays into his historicals, his comedy, like there's certain categories that he Mm -hmm. just keeps revisiting and trying to refine and work on. Spielberg does the same thing, um, which is why like when you look at his alien movies, to a degree, like War of the Worlds is him not trying to remake Close Encounters. There's, a, it's, it's, it's having what rewatched Close yeah. Encounters recently. It's amazing to watch the parallels with those two movies. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a conversation that his movies have with each other. His Holocaust films, Munich has with with Schindler's List, that all these movies are kind of having with each other, and it's, um, in this like he's he's retelling these stories to try to I don't know if it like. It, either because they're interesting or to get his head around it or mm-hmm. because he's trying but it's really interesting to watch these because you really can create you know a movie night out of like well we're mm-hmm. gonna watch all of spielberg's like i jurassic park to me falls into the you know men with kids category mm-hmm. <laughs> not it's not a, it's yeah. not a dinosaur movie jurassic park is ultimately when you're talking about like steven spielberg trying to figure out i would pair it with like a catch me if you can of like adult mm. figures trying to figure out how to adult figures with adopted children essentially like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so that's um where like with war of the worlds what becomes really interesting in terms of looking at his filmography is it's another one of his alien movies where it's not about aliens it's about you know how these extraordinary circumstances what choices adult men choose to make when faced with it um and when faced with their responsibility to their kids versus responsibility to their own survival or their own interests. And um, I think this falls in really well with those. And so it's, yeah, I, I don't remember what got me onto this topic, but the point being that uh, I might've just wedged it in because it's the thing I, I, that I find fascinating about Spielberg, but yeah, his, oh, his suffering. So yeah, the point being that- <laughs> Oh, his suffering. Oh, uh, we, the point I'll be talking about suffering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the point being that, yeah, he, he consistently throughout like, this movie does not luxuriate in the people dying at any point. Yeah. And there's some oh. horrifying, but like the, when we see the very, the aliens, if you didn't spend too much time thinking about anything about the way the aliens, in this movie work, the movie falls apart. Don't do that. Reality index wise. Don't think about why the aliens are there, how long they've been burying. Like it would have maybe been more efficient to just invade the planet when they buried all of the, all of the machines, just that saying, throwing it out there. If you can bury them before there's any cities built, maybe just invade the planet when people have, you know, stones and I've never I've tiles. never um read the source text. Do they explain why the aliens came at any point in like older versions of this or I'm gosh, I read it a couple of years ago. I okay. Yeah, sorry. I wasn't sure because like I wasn't sure if I decided this based on nothing mm-hmm. because it's just been the premise of several alien invasion movies. That's like their resources were gone, so they needed ours. Yeah, yeah. Didn't it's know it's if that was London. part of it. No, it was set in London, and it was like written, I think, in the eighteen eighties. Okay. It's it, but a lot of it's similar. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And and it's sort of one. That I think like that's a reasonable. You know, obviously we see evidence of that where they are picking up humans, carrying them in little baskets, and then individually 
injecting them to drain them of their fluids. Yeah. Um, which yeah, again, the blood spray across the landscape is a truly remarkable, unbelievable visual. It's and like hearing so the like gunk of like the machines <laughs> operating outside yeah. the house is so good. Oh my god. Yeah, but with a different director, we would have seen that we would have seen that man be drained of his fluids. We would have. <laughs> it happens like in that very Spielberg bloodless way, where like mm-hmm. we he leaves it to our imagination. And that's horrifying. But another director would have been like, yeah, we're going to watch him, that man, be completely drained and sanguinate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're going to watch a human turn into a prune. (laughs) And he doesn't do that because I don't think that's like, one, it's not scary. It's scarier to not have it happen on screen. But then, two, it's not his interest. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's that's pretty consistently true of like a lot of what Spielberg does. Yeah. I think it's a, he's always going to care more about the reaction shot. I think than yeah. than that kind of thing, like that moment's about watching Tom Cruise react to after everything he's seen, he can still find a fresh way to be terrified and uh, aggrieved by, by the, the new horror that he's seeing. And Tom Cruise is an outstanding intensity actor and yeah. like does a great, like yeah. welling up, you know, filled with emotion kind of close up. Yeah. It's, he's one of the good, um, look scared shitless actors oh yeah like, harrison ford is is there too yeah is yeah there too. <laughs> yeah i well like <laughs> I, I i i watched blade runner fairly recently and did a, a podcast episode on that so we just we went so long on it and like i really like i had known it but it really reaffirmed for me watching like early early ford watching blade runner be like wow tom harrison ford really is like the most overwhelmed looking actor imaginable. Like yeah. the, amount yeah. of ta- the amount of times like heroic sign of like sexy, like Han Solo time Harrison Ford actually spent spends with that like puppy dog looking confused, yeah. overwhelmed Harrison Ford face is a giant percentage of his career. No matter the fugitive, what the fucking that's fugitive. It. That's all he's doing. All- he's reacting like, holy yeah. shit. Now this. Harrison Christ, Ford's... I gotta make a badge now. That is <laughs> totally Harrison. That is completely the fugitive. To and why U.S. Marshals yeah. for me is the better U.S. Mar is the better Sam Gerard movie. Sorry, everybody. But Harrison Ford, his entire persona is ultimately, regardless of like how swaggering his character is, his whole care, his entire essence is, I wasn't supposed to be at work today. I know in my head, Amanda, as you were saying that, it was the thing I was hearing was, I wasn't even supposed to be here today. Yeah, like, that is so true. Harrison Ford has the same exact reaction to everything happening around him that anybody who's worked retail who had to cover a shift has had <laughs> when it's the worst possible day of retail. Like uh, possible day of retail. Yeah. Amanda, what's the worst day of retail? What like is it the holidays or is it like some weird day in July that no one ever talks about? It's the day after Thanksgiving is pretty close. Okay. That or the day after Christmas. Okay. Okay. So the usual suspects. For my job, the twenty December twenty third is the worst possible. The twenty third. December twenty third. That's the busiest day. December twenty fourth is busy in the morning, but then by like (laughs) noonish and then everybody has to give up they're like yeah, well like, I yeah. missed it they yeah. do missed yeah it. <laughs> yeah because you can't like most of the people who are doing the last minute shopping generally speaking are men and at that point they can't sneak out of the house anymore so they can't <laughs> it, it, it cools off until you get like the last couple of stragglers who are inevitably assholes who show up at 559 when your store is going to close and oh, they're like oh my god yeah i've had i yeah I, yeah you have those but then december for for luxury jewelry is december 23rd for regular retail it's probably the day after thanksgiving right and for me personally it was the day that i was accused of stealing a woman's three million dollar or three carat ring 
yikes. Yeah. <laughs> and so that day I had a lot of the look on my face of like, I wasn't even supposed to be here. Like that is the, that, that kind of a day is the day you have the, I wasn't even supposed to be here. Was that just out of curiosity? Was it supposed to be on your person or you had stolen it previously and she came in and was no, like, no, no, it was, bitch. it was, she had come into the store. She had tried on jewelry with her aunt. The both of them were like, and you know, she was in her late thirties, 40, you know, the aunt was there. And then she came back later and was like, and she'd been trying out a bunch of rings. And she's like, I left my engagement ring here. And I was like, I, no. Yeah. You're and, like, well, we got a lot of rings here. Yeah. And she insisted that um, she'd left her three million, her three carat engagement ring, not three million dollars, her three carat engagement ring in the store. I had taken it and she was convinced of that. And I was like, absolutely not. Uh, and that's quite a lie to make when the entire store is full of security. Cameras. Yeah, it's wired. Yeah. yeah, wired up, man. Which is how I learned to operate the security cameras. And also how I learned that certain security cameras are not in at certain companies are not as up to date as you'd think because, man, the picture quality was like just terrible. Oh, God, like truly yeah. like 90s. Yeah, I was thriller. I was shocked wow. by how bad the the security cameras were. So I was like, I can't pick up anything. I can't you can't see if there was a ring because you can't see shit on the table. <laughs> Yeah, she wound up calling BHPD. It was a whole thing. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah, it was great. Um, which the BHPD thing, I was fun because as soon as you know, he came in and he was like, he went to our back. He's like, okay, I'm gonna look through the security cameras, which I'd already done. I was like, yeah, you're like, there's go nothing. For go for it. Um, and so I kind of popped my head back in. And the thing that I do with people now, because I can't help it, is I don't remember faces. I don't remember names, but I can tell you top to bottom what jewelry someone was wearing. And it's just like second nature. It's not intentional. And so the cop is there, you know, looking at security cameras. And I was like, look, here's the thing. I was like, please look through it, whatever. I was like, but just to let you know, my entire job is to observe jewelry. For example, yeah. I know that you're wearing a, you've got a black rubber wedding band on right now. Like I was looking him in the eye and I'm like, you have a black rubber wedding band on and you have an Apple watch. I was like, if a woman walked in here with a three carat diamond ring, uh-huh. it is my job to notice that because that tells me how much money she can spend. Yeah. You're, pro- you have yes, to profile yeah. the customer. Yeah. Like I'm not negatively profiling somebody. Like if people walk in and aren't wearing jewelry, I'm like, oh no, that's not. But if someone's wearing a three carat engagement ring, like, yeah, my ears perk up because yeah. that's somebody who has, I want that commission. I want yeah, the commission from the person wearing a three carat ring. Exactly. So like, yes, that's my job. And as soon as I feel like, and I was like, had that moment where I got to do that, looking him dead in the eye and he reacted of just like shocked and kind of impressed. I was like, yeah. Forensics. I, Take I got, that BHPD. And I was like, look at me <laughs> yeah. with my CSI <laughs> skills. Beverly Hills Police Department. <laughs> yeah. She wound up getting banned from the store, so that was fun. That's yeah. Outstanding. She accused me of flushing it down a toilet. And I was like, why would that be? That's what that's why what I'm that gonna do thing? when I steal yeah. jewelry is yeah. get nothing out of it. Actually. I would I really I, I would prefer to lose my job and not have a diamond ring. Yeah, that's I I want to steal high value items yeah. to throw them in the garbage. When like th- what I could have done is I could have hit it in any number of places in the vault and it would just look like a diamond ring that no one would have thought of. But yeah, I didn't because I'm not a lunatic who wanted to steal it. Th- it was like it was. And then the ant was throwing a fit and I was like, the ant stole the ring. That's what happened. Because <laughs> the ant was making it a bigger thing than anything it was like, oh, I know that she- the ant was like throwing a tantrum. And I was like, she I was bet protesting you. too much. Yeah, I was like, I bet you that ant. I've I I have been in a situation. It's not not with my family, with an ex's <laughs> family, where a family member stole from another family member a quite expensive piece of jewelry, and then it turned up again. Uh-huh. And so I was like, I've seen this before with someone else's family. I know what this is. That aunt thought that she was going to be able to like pawn it for a little bit. <laughs> oh wow! 
and throw the yeah so anyway that I would was have a loved huge that. digression i wish that could have gone to a perry mason moment of you being able to solve the crime and uh, yeah just one more question yeah <laughs> one more i am hercule poirot <laughs> and I, I just walked onto the sales floor with a lollipop and like a trench coat <laughs> columbo yeah <laughs> just one more thing i'm sorry just one more thing just one more thing and then yeah. one more thing <laughs> yeah you said it holding my forehead but yeah the point is so that would be Har- that would have been harrison ford's i wasn't even supposed to be at work that day yeah. he worked in retail would have been the three the three carat diamond ring stealing um but yeah he to go back to the original point yes he is tremendous at reacting and tom cruise can see horror yeah he can mm-hmm. see horror man yeah i don't know if it's it, maybe because like he's you know just picturing xenu or whatever but man he exactly can, yeah the fade man it's south park the south park writing crew is that is one of their <laughs> that is one of their great triumphs it, like, it really the, is and like the the entire episode with it the chiron flashing on the bottom of the screen this is like, what they really this believe is in. what they really believe yeah. this is what they this is real it was that is one of that's the that is south park as like service journalism yes when they were at their very best, I mean, and they're still on, they they performed a a service form of satire. And that what I think episode was the very pinnacle of it. Yeah. Which I think I, was I, the DC tens flying through space. Mm-hmm. Which came on the heels of War of the Worlds, didn't it? That was they finally went after him because it was he was puncturable after the couch jumping, which, by the way, you're uh, you're wrong about with Sarah Marshall, who's been on has a great episode about the couch jumping. But I'm, what's her what were we wrong about? Um, there was basically like they re the person I don't remember who it is who talks about it, but who basically re-examines how much of it was Tom Cruise being erratic and how much of it was the media fur around him seem like he was erratic. Like basically Oprah is egging him on you should, in should, that should. whole like she's like, Man, you're so excited. I love how excited you are. You jump and he had like, I guess, jumped up on something and applauded at an award show. And she had previously mentioned how much she loved his enthusiasm. So he Got was it. like trying to be the consummate showman and yeah. get her approval and jumps up on the couch to show her how enthusiastic he is. But it's not Tom Cruise doing it out of nowhere. It's because there's a prior context to this that then gets stripped out and becomes his punchline. And so it's incredible. It's, kind of, it's, it's, it's a great, yeah, it's one of those good episodes because even having lived through it and been like, I vividly remember who doesn't and the rem- internet yeah. being like minimal at the time yeah I mean, like you, that you, wasn't we, that didn't go viral it was on daytime news tv yeah it was like on the today show kind of thing being replayed over and over again yeah i mean my parents were sending me the video of him holding oprah with the lightning coming out of his hands like yeah that's yeah, how like, yeah like Palpatine, yes the, the palpatine yeah. like ah that's how saturated that was god and that was but like that episode was he- like an hour though it was like the whole episode he was acting yeah, I mean, wacky, he, yeah. He, yeah, but it's it's just an interesting like if, it's a good one to listen to because it just recontextualizes like where he was at the it it, it is it's interesting to hear in retrospect a thing that we all lived through and remembered and how much of that was shaped by the media at the time that we didn't because you mm-hmm. were in the middle of it that we didn't see so it's a good episode. But. I mean, the odds are the the odds are such a crucial time. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there I think there's an interesting thing that happens with the 2000s and um, which is that that we're there's so much media saturation like it we're, we we entered this sort of peak era of media saturation in the monoculture before it all fractures out into splinters yeah and so it's sort of like it's the most monoculture 
it can be before everything is going to burst. And so it's the last era in which we are all experiencing the same pop culture moments together. And right before we are able to really get like, but this was the other angle. And this is what this person said, where there's the immediate like 360 thing that happens where you milkshake duck. We're like that. This was like we weren't milkshake ducking people at the time. There was just something that was happening and it was entering our collective memory. And then we we put it away. And now it's like within 24 hours of something happening. You know what people said on Facebook 15 years ago. You know, their ex-girlfriends, you know, their wives, you know, anybody who can come out of the woodwork and add another detail about the situation with a Harry Styles and Chris Pine thing that happened at Cannes and it was like yeah. did he spit on him at the time we would have had one video that we would have been talking about at the water cooler all day long Very and this true. was yeah. six hours in we had 17 videos going at playing at different Zapruder. speeds yeah you had computer enhanced HD fucking quality like yeah and at the time in the 2000s, I feel like it, there was so much media and so much exposure. We felt like we knew so much more than we did because we felt like we knew the most you could possibly know. And now right. we've arrived at this yeah. time where it's like, oh, fuck, we were actually operating from one kind of monotheistic perspective of what the, hate to use the stigmatized word, mainstream media yeah. was presenting to us. And it like, then you look back at it now and you're like, fuck guys like we really did a number on Britney Spears because we just like decided as a collective meat machine to do that we really were like oh yeah Tom Cruise had a psychotic break like that's what it like looks like at the time it was talked about like Tom Cruise is having a breakdown and it's like yeah he went nutty in that interview but then you look back and it's like he wasn't having a breakdown he was being he was in a call-in response with a host who was teasing out of him stuff that was good for tv and he it, he hit the gas on it. So like it's 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 my it's my absolute favorite time as one who got, you know, as we got to live through it to reevaluate the media culture of the 2000s because it was also just such a savage and violent and xenophobic homo nationalistic time in the wake of 9-11. And it was yeah. so cynical and machinized. Right. It, it, it's a it's a rich tapestry. Yeah. yeah. And going back once again, like he was somebody who never had a misstep. That was no. also part yeah. of the shock. Mm-hmm. Like he was always perfect. Like he smiled perfectly. He always get, gave perfect interviews, perfect answers. Yeah. He never. So yeah. I think that was part of the shock of it, too. Yeah, uh, completely. Completely. Agree. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. this was I mean, and that was right around when he fired his publicist, like longtime publicist. And so it was just like, oh, mm-hmm. everything's going off the rails. I mean. It was here it, in it, in L.A. It was one of those things that was really fun because obviously like everyone knew a person who knew a person who knew a person. And so it was yeah, very much the, right. Like, it was like finding out your homecoming king had impregnated the weird girl from like it, it was on that like level. Carrie. Yeah, yeah it was like <laughs> yeah. on that level of not that like of of scant like whispered gossip was tom cruise jumping on the couch in the same way like here it was it was the time it was the the homecoming it, king having a fall and if steven spielberg had not been making munich at that yeah. time mm-hmm. he would have been in that interview with him yeah and this probably never would have happened right yeah yeah well and you know I, I mean want, yeah and going back to the idea that the two of them had a lot of conflicts like how much of would that still not have happened or would they still have been kept as separate as possible and right then right, we would right. have had the you would have had a bunch of really awkward interviews where Steven Spielberg is getting asked about couch jumping, <laughs> which yeah, couch yeah, because yeah, that is just not not a world in which I need to live in. 
is I don't right. need to hear Steven Spielberg's hot takes on, you know, ha- hear him kind of say, well, Katie's a great girl. And then like, yeah. moving on. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy for him. Yeah, I'm happy for them. You know, I and and like as you mentioned ET earlier, uh, I feel like it's worth noting that like Drew Barrymore on her like surrealist performance art talk show that she has. Oh my god, which I adore. The gorgeous episode where like Steven Spielberg was brought out to like be her heartwarming father. I was just like, yeah, let them live together forever. I want them her. I want her to be in the house with him and Jessica Capshaw. I want them to be one big happy family. I oh, I love that, I love that Drew Barrymore is essentially using her talk show to basically like let me just work through the last few remaining things yeah. I have that yeah like we're getting let this, me, yeah working through my stuff yeah. it's beautiful it should be yeah it should be called it's working really through warm. my stuff it's heartwarming Drew yeah. yeah I yeah. I haven't watched the clip but I keep seeing the ad the push ad of George Clooney providing like she's lying on the floor and George Clooney's like leaning on his forearms to give her a counseling session it's yeah and that's like, George beautiful. Clooney's, I love that. Yes, George Clooney is your therapist. Why not? That's exactly the kind of publicly weird celebrity should be. Like, be be interesting, strange. Don't, like, like, give me something. Like, make the best of this weird life you have. And, like, give back with it. Do the do well i love it I, yeah, there's very few actors who actor or actors or actresses who can center their actual persona on screen like on a daily basis and be engaging and like jimmy fallon does it and i don't know that he does it successfully but he definitely centers himself mm-hmm. versus but like right. what drew barrymore is doing where she's centering herself in her persona and it just it's so weird that it works it's so it's amazing it's so beautiful it's so yes. pure i do also <laughs> love that like i love steven spielberg with young act like these the way that he can get a performance out of a young actress oh man and how diametrically opposed drew like young drew barrymore actress versus dakota fanning who was a 47 year old career woman in the body of a child absolutely right that 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 was never a child actor that was an adult actor like she's always she has always brought to camera like a fucking veteran and i just i love her so much i mean as much as so much world experience in those eyes a 10 year old oh my god you know as much as we've talked about world weary dakota fanning at 10 as much as we've talked about like bad disaster children and in this movie we've got a terrible disaster dad and great disaster kids up until great disaster. Robbie oh this is truly yeah great yeah. disaster kids great disaster kids Robbie's like I need to join the military thing is the one thing that for me script wise makes no fucking sense because it just comes out of nowhere and we never have any indication like you have such a sense of what his you know Robbie's obligation to Rachel his sister is mm-hmm. right that- there's no world in which Robbie's going to leave her behind. Like that just, that to me never makes sense because as much as like, yes, he's an angry teenager. There's no world in which he's going to leave Rachel to be with his dad who doesn't even know that she has a peanut butter allergy. Like, (laughs) right. He's going to kill her in a benign way if the aliens don't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Shit. Like Robbie has to be there to make sure that Rachel has lunch. Like Tom, <laughs> the best that Ray can do is he doesn't even know fucking lullabies. He sings little deuce coop, which <laughs> I know is supposed to be an emotional moment, but the way that, that Dakota Fanning little is deuce looking deuce at him coop. with these wide eyes oh, God, and Angel. yes, you could project like, Oh, she's, she's being comforted. But in my head, I'm like, she's looking at me like, I can't believe this dipshit is my father she's <laughs> constantly thinking that yeah. she's like thinking to herself like this is like my third or fourth lifetime yeah i didn't stay an in ancient being this. on this planet yes to deal with you. <laughs> exactly i have so, not yeah. transferred 
vessels for eons to end up in front of you, you fucking fool. Yeah. Yep. No, she I do not carry the wisdom of generations (laughs) for you to be my failed father. To slap me some bread when yeah, I'm hungry. Slap, throw, and then <laughs> on the counter, doesn't even give me a plate. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> I like when he's down. like, okay, but sandwiches, sandwiches. It's like, open a cabinet, Ray, yeah. because this I house need- is full of food. <laughs> open yeah. a cabinet. Like, this family was ready to welcome guests, and they're just not in the house right now. So, like, anything in the fridge. Yeah, that that she absolutely has accessible at low levels so that Rachel can reach them after school snacks. Like this yeah. is not that that scene is always, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that scene to me really does like that moment in the house is one of those moments you're like, mm, these are a bunch of men who do not necessarily spend a lot of time engaging with their kids <laughs> because of the fact that those kids don't know that kitchen. And if you are right, not that's a their ch- home, isn't that's it? their home. It's their yeah. home. It's their mother's house. They are back in their primary house that they live in 99% of the time, except for when mom needs to throw them at their irresponsible father. Yeah, except when the custody agreement mandates. Yeah. And like, yes, even if, even in the world in which those are two traumatized kids, like she still, Rachel can still feed herself in that household because she's- Yeah, I mean, and they're both like, I'm not hungry. Yeah. It's kind of like, if I was hungry, I'd eat because I live here. Right. Right. Which everything about- their in- interactions like that whole sequence again is one of those things where like man this is just th- this whole movie could read as a father with an addiction issue yeah right? or an untreated mm. mental illness having like a manic episode could just as easily if you if you pull all the alien stuff out the kid being scared while there's a lightning storm and the dad starts singing the star spangled banner again that is a hundred percent a moment that gets brought up in therapy a decade later because that is a father who is not picking up on the cues of his daughter to see fear. And it just happens to be that he gets, he lucks out because there's aliens. But the truth is, is that there were no aliens. He honestly does luck out because there's aliens. He completely lucks out because there's aliens. <laughs> One little moment that I love that I have to believe was entirely Dakota Fanning making this choice as an actress is when he's sitting on the couch with her, like before the aliens and she's got her little horse and then she's got her third place ribbon and she's fiddling with it so hard, hoping that he's going to notice that she's got this third place ribbon. Like, and I, I assume that yes, the character was given that piece, but then I, I have to believe that that was a character choice that she as a, you know, fully trained a- actor, studio actress. Yes. Like, oh, no. d- a prodigy. Yes. She was like, I really want to show how badly my character, Rachel would like her father to notice her ribbon. <laughs> And you can just, you can completely see in those moments, like, man, this is, this is a, this would be a traumatizing event for her, regardless of if there were aliens or not. And maybe the aliens are somehow less traumatizing than what this weekend would have been otherwise. At least they can blame the aliens. Right. That's the thing. Like this whole thing, sequence is so traumatizing. Yes. But if she had just been left to her own devices at her dad's house for a weekend where he's lightly abusive verbally, he's basically having these like fights with his bro with her beloved brother and she's completely ignored and has to feed herself at 10 years old like are you kidding me this is not a child who's going to come out of this okay safe or healthy (laughs) none of the above none of these things and so So i i do feel like i do feel like we're getting into i do feel like this is taking us into what is this really about territory amanda i i i think i but one of the things about this movie that's so great is that you kind of can't avoid it because oh of course yeah 
because this movie, I mean, and I do want to, one thing I do really want to shout out about this, about this movie that is part of why it was so deeply traumatizing to me when I watched it is that there's no, I have not seen a disaster movie that we have watched that gives the, there is no safe quarter sense Mm -hmm. to the degree this movie does. This movie Mm -hmm. makes you feel like it's omnipresent and like there is no escape to the point in, in ways that are so clever and that feels so huge mm-hmm. um, that I don't think that we have any other disaster movies where you can watch it and be like, yeah, I could ride that out though. <laughs> like <laughs> most of the, like, yeah, I mean, okay. The, the world ender comet asteroid, like Greenland, things like that. Yes. You know, okay. We can't ride it out, but like most alien invasion movies, there is even independence day. Like you're like, eh, I mean, I could probably ride this out though. <laughs> Like they're they're attacking the major cities, but if I'm in like middle right. of nowhere, Montana, you know, it's gonna take a long time for them to get to me. But this movie operates solely in the suburbs. This movie, the only time we're really in a city is when yeah. we get to Boston at the end. This movie does some does such a good job of making it feel so inescapable. Mm-hmm. And I don't right. think we have another disaster movie that gives us that sort of sense of you can run, but there is never gonna be a safe place. It does a fantastic job of that. It does an amazing job of that. Yeah. Should right. we then should we then march into what is this really about territory? Absolutely. Let's do it. Who wants to s- Margo, do you have thoughts on what this movie do you, is really about? Yeah, either on the surface think, or deep down in its core. For me, as a New Yorker, as somebody who, like I said, was in the city mm-hmm. during 9-11, I think it's a meditation on that. I think mm-hmm. it's a meditation yeah. on those I mean, we images. Get, we get Rachel outright screaming at one point, is it the terrorists? Yeah. Is it the terrorists? They bring up the terrorists. We have the ashes of the people, mm-hmm. the ashes on him. We have the signs of the, the posters yeah. on the wall of the people, the terror of trying to get away of people. I think it's it's a meditation on that, that mass hysteria, of like how do we get out of a place? Mm-hmm. I think there's that element to it. And there's, like you said, uh, you know, who is the enemy and how do we, do we turn on each other? Um, I think it's also, it's Spielberg's dad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- who can you count on and who are, you know, what's, what's the role of a man? Mm-hmm. What's the role of a parent? And uh, it's also like what kids finding power within themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's mm-hmm. a part, and I think there's a part where like her brother teaches her how to calm herself. She's a very anxious kid. Yeah. I'm a super anxious kid. I'm an anxious adult and her brother teaching her how to meditate and keep yeah. herself calm. I think there's a part of that in there as well. So there's a lot about anxiety. There's a lot in here about, but it's also, you know, it's also just about monsters invading and, yeah, yeah. and, you know, and sometimes it's like the randomness, like something really bad can happen. And then sometimes for the dumbest reason, it can go away. Yeah. 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 That's my, that's my take. All right. All right. Amanda, you got started on something. Yeah. You, well, so- what do you think? So the first thing I want to say, and this, I was curious to see if it held up when I watched it this time, but like the headcanon I had, because the last few scenes, you know, the, they make it to Boston. Like we see, so we've got Tom Cruise is in the basket and then he gets eaten by the space sphincter. Um, And then they, everyone teams together to pull him out uh, and he gets reborn from the space, from the alien, you know, uterus and then it blows up with the grenades and 
then we don't see them get back to get to Boston. They're just suddenly in Boston. They're suddenly in Boston. Yeah. In Boston. Mm -hmm. And then all and all of a sudden the aliens are dying of their own accord and they get to the Brooklyn the, the Brooklyn brownstones that are in Boston to have the moment of like which and it's a completely other than like some shelled out cars it is untouched it's yeah pristine pristine mm-hmm. and so what i took from that after i watched it was oh they died ah so oh i think from the minute that amanda's going lost i'm going yeah i i think this movie i like personally enjoy the ending of this movie significantly more if everything from the minute we see that boston sign on you assume it's the afterlife okay and sure that's yeah that they've died in the like they, that they either died from the explosion or from the basket itself, which is <laughs> why once he gets to like the basket falling over, once he gets to um, her house, like the street is untouched. Everything is pristine. Everybody is backlit with halos of golden light. <laughs> and then she's there and her ex-husband is not. Say, you think Tim is the only one who lived? Tim Robbins? No, Tim, like oh, husband Tim. Yeah, no, I think husband Tim, I don't know if he lived or not, but I think that husband Tim at the very least is not in um Ray's kind of oh okay home moment like the, <laughs> this is Ray wow. going to the light and so he goes wow. to the light and there is his wife and his daughter reunites with his wife and then his son who we haven't seen since the midpoint of the movie and as far as we know died because there's just no he goes toward the battle <laughs> yeah, like there's no world does. in which this chat in which Robbie goes toward the battle somewhere in New York State and then makes it safely and unharmed to Boston. That just doesn't work, <laughs> make sense, have any logic. So him appearing on the stoop and then like coming and running out to his dad, 100%, everybody's dead. Wow. <laughs> Everyone's dead. So I- You went I, dark. I, yeah, but I think it like that makes them, but the, every it suddenly the movie makes more sense because why would these super intelligent beings who've been watching us, like, are you telling me that they haven't been sampling our atmosphere and making sure that like, they're just gonna be caught off guard by biome. Like no. I think they could still. I, the aliens could still be. The aliens could still be dead, and this could still be like they could have just died with it. They might have, but like my my point is, is I think that what this movie really is about is I I think this is actually probably an incredibly dark movie in the sense that I think this movie is about how it doesn't matter who you are, how good of a parent you are, how bad of a parent you are. When there are forces beyond your control, all you can do is save, try to save your kids and fail at it. Wow. Yeah. And, but like, and that actually, that works for me. Like that doesn't bum me out as a movie. I'm just like, yeah, that makes, it makes less sense to me that Tom Cruise can survive the apocalypse in this situation. (laughs) than it does that they all die and their happy ending is being reunited at the end and they're all dead. And like, there's Mm -hmm. an afterlife. I think that like, even though the aliens destroy the planet that we have and just, there's an afterlife that we see in which they can all live together happily. Um, hey, so why not, to me, man? I don't have a, what is this movie really about that to me? Um, what I've got today is <laughs> this is the actual ending of the movie is, uh, is the subtext. Well, I think where that, where that intersects with, with um, what you were saying, Margo is like you, you ended like talking about like just the randomness of tragedy and, yeah. Yeah. and Amanda's like getting to the totality of tragedy And for me, like thinking about this movie in context of like what Steven Spielberg does, like his films are his films are beautiful. And there there is a lot of there is a lot of hope and there is like a lot of bottom line of like the endurance of people and what they can get through. 
for me, this movie is another Steven Spielberg movie that's really about that, like, life is pain and yeah. life is hard and life is tragedy, but you can make it, but you can endure. But look what we look at the beauty and what we are capable of, but it will be inevitably tested amidst the cascading tragedy and loss that is the run of a human's existence. And so I think this is a this is a world scale version of that thing that Steven Spielberg continues to return to of like, isn't it gorgeous what we are capable of in the worst of circumstances and the worst of circumstances are inevitable and and constant (laughs) And, and the worst that can happen will happen. But look at what we can do and are capable of amidst that. So that yeah. to me is is another Spielberg. This is another Spielberg movie about that assertion. Yeah, that's my cat, by the way. She's coming into <laughs> she's the beautiful. shot. Yeah, she's that's like my it, sweet Sarah. It's been too long. <laughs> I've come to visit. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, you, the more you think about it, because they come back. So some magically they get back to Boston. There's no cars on the streets, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah, so it's totally empty and quiet. And it's just, and it's the grandparents and the wife. Yeah, they're probably in heaven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's a good they're, theory. It's a good yeah. theory. Yeah, Everyone, it's a good yeah. theory. I mean, because the wife is like just sitting, standing there waiting for them. Like, that's really, that's what she's doing. She's just hanging out at the house waiting for them to show up. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah. No, well, so I'm not, I have no, I have no fantasy casting for this. It's, it's, it is what it is. It stays yeah. what it is. I, I, I wrote down, like, I would be kind of interested what Jordan Peele would do with it. Yes. Mm-hmm. With the material. But other than that, like, I'm totally fine with this being the last version, the only version. Like, uh-huh, I'm really uh-huh. kind of, yeah. I'm totally fine with it. I think it's really well done. Well, ca- it's an interesting cast. We didn't it is an interesting all the, cast. You know, all the people that are in here, Amy Ryan. I mean, all these. Yeah. David Armour's. Um, David, David Armour, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah David Harbour there. shows up. Yeah, well, Lisa and Walter. Like Steven Spielberg, <laughs> Steven Spielberg really from the beginning of his career to now, he doesn't like necessarily cast the usual suspects. Like right. it's mm-hmm. you're not generally like it can happen, but like you're not generally going to tune in all the time to a Steven Spielberg's movie. That's like, let's cast the six most famous actors now because they would all be like let's be david or russell piece of fucking shit like hey let's get every david like famous person in amsterdam because it's a david o russell movie and they'll say yes to him like this is a tom cruise movie in which his co-star is miranda otto it's not like you if you're you're a tom cruise movie you can co-star nicole fucking kidman like you can co-star whoever the equivalent of you is in anything that you do in Mission Impossible, where we have, like, the breakout of Rebecca Ferguson, it's Rebecca Ferguson. Like, right. that was the movie that really put her on an international map as a film presence. You watch West Side Story, he finds Rachel Ziegler to play his Maria, and he, for whatever wisdom he had behind this, decides to go with Ansel Elgort as, like, the the main male protagonist of this. And then Ariana Dubose. She wins the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for this. 
this is Ariana DeBose's biggest role ever. Like in Br- in Bridget, he's like this era of Steven Spielberg is populated by fucking Mark Rylance showing right. up as a leading yeah. figure in Steven Spielberg movies. And like this is a guy who could be putting Harrison Ford in any spot where Mark yeah. Rylance is, but he's like Mark Rylance is my guy. So like it <laughs> and Rylance is amazing, by the way. Oh yeah, I mean, Mark I've, Rylance I've is seen incredible. Him on Broadway. Yeah, 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 he's an incredible actor. And it really like Steven Spielberg's gonna cast the thespian. Yeah. He's not like fully he's not doing a he's, he's not, not that interested into you in like persona grouping. as selling point. And because he's Steven Spielberg, I would imagine he gets to tell the studio, no, that's gonna be Mark Rylance. Yeah. Like that's yeah. it's not I I'm not going to go from like the the bag of of like pop culture legends to yeah. put into this thing this is going to be mark rylance and the studio says steven you got it like we're mad at you but what are we going to tell you you're not making this movie come on yeah right i mean another it is another a director tremendous- makes west side story attempts it they're going to put like Full Sean Mendez. Oh, it's in Ariana, the Ansel Elgort role because it's he's, Ariana Grande as is Maria. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Right. But he has the clearance. He has earned the clearance yeah. to be like, no, I'm finding the right person that I want. I don't care if you would never have guessed. Yeah. And I think that even like you know we have the Dakota is so young and she she's formed like a star profile of her own at that point but like even the actor who plays the son in this yeah he wasn't like a sensation of the 2000s he he's not Chad Michael fucking Murray yeah like he's this random Canadian actor he's he's lovely kid who who does a great who does a great job as Robbie so like right that is I, I I think there is a there's a there's an always an exciting aspect of who Steven Spielberg's going to cast because you there's it's so rare that people get to like sign their own checks. And it I don't I'm sure Steven Spielberg's having fights with producers and stuff and, and money people, but I don't feel like there there are a few people who can who are as positioned to win those arguments as Steven Spielberg is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad he's still this, having them too. Yeah. I mean, in this yeah. movie, Dakota Fanning was the second lead. Like when, yeah. when this was coming, when it, the, the fact that Dakota Fanning was in this was a top billing, like big deal. Dakota Fanning is in war of the worlds. And then there was, there's nobody. I mean, Tim Robbins isn't Tim Robbins is never that actor for he's most never people. that actor. Yeah. Not, yeah. No, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. That is a really good point. Um, and that is what makes fantasy casting his movie so hard. Cause he does an incredible job. Only thing, obviously incredibly white movie, incredibly. When you see the crowd of people in New Jersey, it's just a <laughs> piece of yeah. white people. And you see all the people in the Harbor at the, about to get to the ferry, which pro tip, if there's like aliens and you don't know where they're located, but you know, they're located underneath things. Don't go in the water. <laughs> don't like, I, there was nothing I would want to do less than get on a ferry, which is just a target. But but like the fairy crowd of white people, but 2005. And like, I guess you could also make the argument that proportionally given those neighborhoods, like they would be tremendously white. But the point is, that's like the one I like your idea. The the question of what would Jordan Peele do with this? I haven't seen. Nope. I do know. Kind of. I've read the beats of it. Um, Yeah. And it kind of does almost feel to a degree like movie you could watch. eh, I, I can barely like I've seen Get Out. I've seen Us. Um, and those are the only two horror movies that I've done pretty much in my life in theaters. Um, but with no, because the aliens have a very similar goal with like with biomatter, right? Like 
the aliens also suck up humans, eat them, digest them, and then spit them back out. Mm-hmm, so it is mm-hmm. having not seen Nope. I do kind of wonder if that's almost like a more minimalist version of what War of the Worlds, like the the sort of single the single family story of War of the Worlds, but without necessarily the the tripods are here to attack us. It's the tripods are here to menace us in a different way. <laughs> they are menacing yeah it is he is menacing us it is yeah, menacing just, us Jean I'm, never jacket. Gonna, I'm never gonna see nope because i don't need to be afraid of clouds like i just want to make that yeah. very clear that's my like that as soon as i saw the trailer i was like that's just i can't i can't be afraid of every cloud i see that's just I not a world i, I can live it. in i can't yeah I can, yeah when i my folks live up in the hills and after i saw this movie you know we're up i was up in their backyard at night and i just looked up and you could see light coming over one of the hill but in, in their backyard and i was like all I could think intrusive thought was of a tripod coming up over that hill. Every, like anytime I'm on the east after. side of, anytime I'm on the east side of Portland, even still, it yeah. looking over at the west side from it, there's a, a big hill behind yeah. the city that like, it like, it sort of defines the skyline pastorally. And every time I look over at it, I think of tripods coming over the top of it. It's, it it yeah. is that, it is that hill from the fairy scene where I imagine them just like looking down over the city and surveying the, like this, the yeah. destruction that is soon to come still and forever for the rest <laughs> of my life. And, and I think that like, and that's, what's crazy is that, you know, when we talk about like Avatar, which is, you know, the top grossing movie of all time and how little cultural impact it ultimately had to most people, like other than a couple of random jokes you might toss off but like we don't remember you don't remember most things about avatar um or it doesn't come up in conversation unless until recently now that it's like back um it's funny because war of the worlds doesn't have there's no yeah there's like that- a tr- there's a there's a demo of people who are like war avatar did have a cultural impact it's like if you have to argue this hard for it yeah, it didn't if you have to yell about how people did talk about avatar they didn't talk about avatar yeah, there's no i would never even say that yeah. people didn't talk about jennifer's body they just said the wrong stupid shit about it no kid went dressed as a navi at any point <laughs> in the last decade and a half and there are still kids getting dressed up as alan grant like that's the counter argument but i do think it's fascinating that like war of the worlds which did not ultimately have a significant cultural impact. I mean, people is yeah. a well-liked movie, but it is not in the scheme of blockbusters, a movie that had a lasting impact. But no, not much. The iconography of it fucking does. So I think anybody who has seen these, who has seen this movie, if you said to them like, oh, I pictured this as soon as I saw a hill, I think everyone has uniformly the same response of, well, I, I recently posted on Twitter. I was like, tell me your favorite, I like the essential sounds of horror, like yeah. a squelch, a, a, you know, a bisection, the the teacup, like tinging yeah. from get out kind of thing. Like, what are the sound, the best sounds in horror? And quite a few people responded saying the call of the tripods in War of the Worlds. A lot of people were like, that's one of the scariest fucking things that, I've ever um, heard. Which is yeah. sort of like, it's become a very much the Christopher Nolan horns. Yeah, it's become like, the Inception bomb. Yeah, and I feel like the Inception bomb couldn't exist without no. the war. I think that that had to be innate. Because as soon as I heard the warm, I was like, wait, no, I've heard this before. Why yeah. is this a Christopher Nolan warm? Yeah, it's this not. is, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's those tripods, man. Yeah. So it's, well, and then like they did an amazing job of in, in incorporating that into the, the, the sovereign creatures mm-hmm. in, um, what is that video game? I don't, I don't play any video games, but I, I, the, the sovereigns are so scary that, um, 
I have to, I, I just casually look up sometime them just to scare yourself. To, yeah. Just to hear like a speech that they give because they're so scary. <laughs> Govern video game, uh, uh, robot supremacy. I'm going to find it, but you guys keep talking about the, how there many no towering world... infernos you would mass effect, the reapers in mass effect. Oh, um, there's no sovereign... world. I gotta say Jordan in which I would ever be like, I just want to see how scary I feel from something. I'm going to look it up. Like, oh yeah. There's no there's... world. The way that you choose to engage <laughs> with media to me is so fascinating. Cause I'm never like, I just want a casual feared moment. It is it is not it is not a speech that the Reaper Sovereign gives, but somebody has edited it together as a speech. These like lines of dialogue about like how those how the Reapers will like destroy you and take over everything in the universe. And it is one of my favorite speeches a character has ever given. And it's a fan edit of an alien talking in a video game. <laughs> <laughs> But it's so fucking scary. God, it's so good. It's like Shakespeare. Like, you can imagine Christopher Lee giving this monologue (laughs) somewhere. It's like that level of harrowing and just like, wow. I mean, the writing is incredible. But yeah, the the Reapers in Mass Effect also sound like the tripods. Because like, you hear that sound, you fucking take it. You're like, oh, there's something fundamentally in our core terrifying about this sound. Guys, let's use it. We know it works. This is time tested. Christopher Nolan's like, put it in my Inception bomb. Like, that's, he knew. He knew. Yeah. Everything what about the towering the alien? Oh, the, well, um, oh, sorry. I was going to say yeah, the yeah, alien please. movies. Oh, yeah. Um, every, the first alien movie, like the entire sound design of alien and oh. aliens. The first, my God. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Terrifying. Oh, God. Don't need, don't need it in my life. Um, yeah. So <laughs> let's talk towering infernos. Margo, how many towering infernos are you giving this? I was going to say three and a half, but I'm going to give it four. Okay. I think, okay. I, I think it's a really solid film. It's got great acting, great action, great effects. Um, it it makes me feel things. I get mad. I get scared. I I don't know. I I just I'm I'm so pleased that you both really liked it and oh, we're yeah, both really yeah. into it. I was really excited when Amanda said that was your choice. I was like, oh man, it's I'm ready to go back and watch that again. It's been a minute. <laughs> if you haven't seen it in a while, I totally recommend you do. It's streaming on Paramount right now. It's yeah. super easy to get. I I really that's that's mine. Four. Okay. Yeah. Amanda. I, like I honestly I was I was reticent to revisit this. Um <laughs> for the obvious for, reasons. And also just because I'm like I didn't remember when I saw it in theaters, I didn't remember it grabbing me in any way either. Mm -hmm. Like I was terrified, but then on top of that, I wasn't like, I'm terrified, but I don't want to leave this world. There was nothing about it, but rewatching it. Um, what, like I was shocked. This movie moves like this movie fucking zips. And then I made it. It's a speedy two hours. Yes. So fast. And then I made the mistake of following it by watching the trip, the Steve Coogan movie, which (laughs) if you want, an awful if I was doing it for research. I've, I've oh, okay. been watching a lot of like, yeah, I've been watching a lot of like bickering road movies. Ah, um, okay, lately. gotcha. And which if you haven't watched The In-Laws, fucking watch it. That is maybe the best thing I've ever watched in my life. But that's beside the point. Uh, the Goldie, Goldie yeah, Hawn or the original? No, the original with, okay. um, yeah, with uh, Columbo and uh, with Peter Falk. And oh, Alan Peter Arkin. Falk. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, funny but, as hell. Oh my God, it's so good. Serpentine. 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 (laughs) So good. The mosquitoes the size of eagles. Anyway, sorry. Side note. So, but watching this and then watching the trip was, which are, they're almost the same length. And I can't tell you how long the trip felt versus how fast 
this movie feels mm-hmm. and it's busy like it's this movie busy. Is, this movie is packed with things and it never feels that way so um i enjoyed this significantly more on second watch and i got it's a say, movie that ages better for me than it, it was when i saw it the first mm-hmm. time yeah watching it now and like especially watching it in perspective of what we've seen from the last 20 years of disaster movies since mm. this has come out mm-hmm. this to me i i would put this and i love roland emmerich movies this i think goes top tier i i'm giving this a 4.75 all like, right the only the only reason i can't quite give it a five is because i'm so rooting for the first half of the movie for ray to die <laughs> <laughs> Um, because I feel like Rachel and Robbie are just going to be better served if they're just left to their own devices. <laughs> um, but like, so that just the, the difficult Ray as a character for me is kind of, is a hard one to get around. But I, I think Rachel, like somebody commented when I said I was watching, it was like, oh man, everyone in that family at some point or another is insufferable. And I was like, absolutely not. Really. not. No. no, Rachel Justice is absolutely Rachel. never responding in a disproportionately like we we know a shitty disaster child. Yeah. We watch yes. them all the time. Yeah. She is not that. She is not that. The only and, thing, and the only times when she is are out of character. When she goes walking off to go pee, yeah. that is a moment that that character would not do. That child is too yeah. anxious. I was too anxious to go to, I, I was too, I'm too anxious still to go too far from my car at night. Right. To pee. Like, no. That child is not walking off out of her father's eyesight in an apocalypse. That kid is not. At least not Robbie's. No, she's she's holding it until her dad is like, Rachel, you have to get out and pee. That's a very good point. Hurt yourself. And she's like, no, I'll be fine. That's a kid who is never peeing out in the woods ever again. (laughs) So the the only moments when she sucks is when the the script makes her do something that is out of character for her. But the screaming. Mm The frozen, the running off when that's the aliens come back down. That's all legitimate. This yeah. is a traumatized child. Robbie is doing right by his sister every step of the way until the script needs to write him out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? Until the father and the daughter need to bond extra. Yeah. And so it's kind of like other the only quarter I could give this five and I just can't because I got to dock Ray because they want us to believe that Ray is a good is ultimately trying his best. And I don't think Ray was ever trying his best. <laughs> But great fucking, I mean, Margo, thank you for making me revisit this because I really, I never would have revisited this movie otherwise. And it, it was one of my more enjoyable, like movie watching experiences. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a 4.5. I I just had a great time. The only reason I'm not giving it a five is because like I given it the like, okay, I've given other things a five that I would say this isn't quite to the level of. So like instinctually, I want to give it a five, but I'm like, okay, but for the five to mean anything, I guess I shouldn't because other things have gotten a five that I think have done a little bit better than this. So it's like a five in my heart, but like I like responsibly feel like I should give it a 4.5. I love this movie. It's great. It's scary. The set pieces are remarkable. Still looks fucking awesome. No one does an alien like Steven Spielberg. The acting is outstanding. This is a Tom Cruise movie star performance. I love Dakota Fanning. It's scary. It's scary, scary. Yeah, like alien movies often become like action and and adventure foremost and not in a bad way. But this manages to be action and adventure and a horror film. I love this. It's outstanding. It's outstanding. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, I think a lot about how often we give like these big movies fours and fives. And I'm like, man, are we grading on a curve? Because like, are we giving them extra points for just being a big budget film? And like in this case, I'm actually that 4.75 is based entirely off of not how the movie looks, not how scary, but like 
how efficient this movie is to me. It how, is. How mm-hmm. engaging this movie is. How rarely, like, you know, we talk about, when we look at, like, Earthfall, which we watched <laughs> the other week, um, which is a fucking bonkers movie and does, tries really fucking hard. That warrants a high grade. This gets a high grade for the same reasons of how hard it is working at doing what it at executing. It, that's right. It's yeah. it's a it's a hard working movie. This movie works so fucking hard. You will see yeah. the effort in a Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. They're putting all that on screen. They yeah, everything. Man. Yeah. All that money is in on that screen. Everyone's working their ass off. Mm-hmm. Ugh, seriously. Mm-hmm. Well, so where does that what does that bring us to now, Amanda? Well, Margo, it was lovely to have you. Thank you yes! so much for, for coming to us. Thank you for bringing us this movie and having Truly. us revisit it. I know we had mentioned like ages ago that we wouldn't do this movie unless a guest wanted to. And you were a great guest to have for it. This was a one like what a I'm glad we got to just got, go long uh, pop culturally on yeah. like, the, play, the people involved. <laughs> so this was so much fun. You have no idea. This is good. such a blast. Thank you. Well, we loved having you before we send you off. What, where can people find you? Do you happen to have any books set yeah. about tell Brooklyn? Us, tell the people where to find your things. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. So I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brooklyn Fit Chick. My site is brooklynfitchick.com. I'm on the TikTok. Oh, sure. Margot Donahue. I'm not and even on my, the TikTok. So yep. you newfangled um, technology. I'm trying to ruin it for the millennials. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my book is called Filmed in Brooklyn. It's just out. I'm really excited about it. And my other shows, my podcasts are What a Creep, uh, <laughs> Book versus Movie, which is about films that are adapted from books. We covered War of the Worlds and Dorking Out, where my co host Sonia and I dork out about movies. So, mm-hmm. where all those places <laughs> follow me on social media, I talk about all those things there. I've linked to everything there. Please follow me. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. I had such a great time. This was a pleasure. Thanks for coming. Thank you. And and definitely check out your podcast for sure. Now I'm super curious, especially book versus movie that that's that's right. right. Yeah, that's very much. That's Amanda's alley right there. So up my alley. Uh, Yeah. Well, as oh, like every time we have a guest and we send them off, I'm always like, that was great. And I don't know why it always surprises me because we consistently have just like the most amazing people who want to come on and talk about stuff. I know and it's really wonderful. We're, yeah. we're I, it's very, very kind of people to come and join us for so long. It really is. Um, so Jordan, next week we uh, return back to the land of La Brea, as Thank is our God. ongoing trend. Yes. Um, and we'll be doing episodes six and seven of La Brea. And I, for one, can't wait to see what these crazy kids get up to next. I God, I can't, I can't believe it's that far. Which means, like, I'm assuming it's another short season like it was last time we are the majority of the way through la brea at this point i think they got into a 15 episode run this year so we're, we're really the there's even more wow okay yeah what a gift. yeah they didn't they they were like no we're not just getting more la brea we're giving you more of more la brea this okay year. good that's a yeah. huge relief actually yeah well you know we got we got so much we got to get through god I, as much as i want the surface um series bibles I am so curious about how you pitch La Brea to executives to get them to not just give you a second season, but give you a second season with added episodes. I, yeah. I would love to know more about that process. Madness. Um, so we got that next week. And in the meantime, Jordan, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Jor Crew, uh, Jor Crew, the, the Twitter handle, J-O-R-C-R-U. Um, you can find me on the Feeling Scene Pod weekly. You can find me uh, 
for a, a weekly for a little bit longer on the Odds Tyrion podcast, which is up and running again. And then you can find me on the podcast if you want to hear me talking about robots with the uh, distinguished robot professor, professor in my heart, Margot Carlson. So come listen to me talk on all sorts of um, all sorts of shows. Just what my dad asked the other day, he's like, does Jordan, does Jordan like doing the podcast too? Because my dad decided to ask questions about the podcast um, <laughs> the other day, which was in and of itself, like a delightful conversation to have. But he was like, does, does Jordan? I was like, Jordan, yes, it was her first podcast and it was her gateway drug podcast. Yeah, it was really the beginning. Because Jordan, I was like, now Jordan has, I, I was like, I think three, four podcasts that yeah. she does. And he was just like, and my dad doesn't fully understand how podcasts work. So I how it's not like, radio. Yeah. So there was a little bit of confusion on his part of like how often you have to be scheduled for that sort of thing. I was like, no, 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 this is a, this is not quite like that. Uh, then, yeah. he pit- then he did pitch himself to be on the podcast, which was. I'm going to uh, leave that up to you. I'm going to let I, that be I, your final call. Th- no, we're not having my dad on the podcast. All right. But it was wildly entertaining to hear him pitch himself and like, just go off onto a tangent of doing the voices from men in black. Okay. That was what my dad was. That's was real just, dad material. right? It there. was so, yeah, it was such a dad digression into like, imitating the pug from men in black (laughs) so uh you can find me i'm amanda smith says on twitter and uh we're disaster underscore pod on twitter we're disaster girls pod at gmail.com um please take a second to rate and review us as we ask every week you guys have been doing great job with that we've got like 43 spotify keep it up man keep it up yeah thanks for spreading the good word thanks for supporting us um and we'll see y'all back next week for la brea bye guys bye